It's me. It's me. It's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. And by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws. And you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, we've got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Life is a mystery. Everyone must stand alone. I hear you call my name and it feels like home. Ladies and gentlemen, I've explained many times that uh, <clears throat> I, uh, the interviewing thing is not something I like doing a lot anymore, but when somebody I really, really like and somebody who I really think is awesome, as, as soon as I hit record, my dog started to misbehave again. But if your mom's going to come help him, uh, I had to get this guy back on because he used to come on here all the time. And to say that he was highly entertaining... <laughs> would not be, would be understating how good I thought this guy was. Ladies and gentlemen, the now retired, I always say with wrestling, that's just you, I always say that with wrestling, the retired, question mark, question mark, joining Craig Legans and myself, Xavier Cross. Xavier, welcome back to AGAC Talk Radio. Good to be back. It's been a long time, I feel. Yeah, there's a couple guys I feel bad about. There's a couple, uh, and when I say guys, I mean wrestling women, men and women. There's a, there's a couple of wrestlers I really feel bad about, but uh, you know how it goes with. Yeah, no, the business is certainly something, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's something. Oh boy, it's a love hate thing. Um, there, it's I find, and then I'll, I'll take the focus off me. It is my podcast, but I, I just find wrestling when you sit back from it, right? Because I got back in Royal Rumble, I dove right back in, watched Raw, and I was like, there are people who really love wrestling still. Mm-hmm. There are people who hate wrestling but watch it uh, and don't care but watch it and try – okay. And there's this middle ground of casuals who jump in every now and then and mm-hmm. then jump back in and jump back out. Um, and I just learned to – I'm just going to post positive things. I'm not going to argue with the negative and just enjoy the show as much as I can. We'll talk about that later. But um, something that also happened this past week, week's time, seven-day period, is uh, you, you've you hung up the tights for now. 
for now, for sure, yeah. I uh, I always say for now in wrestling, but I, I just I, I want you to explain why, because I still don't think it is appreciated the torture that indie. I, I still think indie wrestling has this weird niche thing where people are not like, well, they're not real wrestlers like on TV. When even in COVID time, the cases they might still wrestle more than the guys on TV. The wear and tear on your body is like, you know what? I think I think I need to take a break. I think it's a good time. Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing it for give or take thirteen and a half years. So wrestling is it's it takes its toll on you, and like everybody's body is built different. Some people can hold up far longer than others. You know what I mean? Uh, you have got you had guys like. You know, Ric Flair, who wrestled till he was almost damn near 60. And then he had guys, you know, like Mr. Perfect, who stopped wrestling in his, you know, 40s and 30s, you know, late 30s, early 40s, you know. It's all de- it's all dependent on how your body holds up. Some guys get injured a lot more than others, as you see. Some people don't. And uh, after the time I had put in, I just – it started wearing me down to the point where I knew it was time to take an extended break, which is what I like to call it, because in wrestling, nobody ever retires. <laughs> nobody ever retires. Um, nope. How when do you come to a decision like that? Because this is something you know you kind of scratch the surface that you've uh, spent your you're you're either working or you're working. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say my adult life has been spent in wrestling or watching wrestling or studying wrestling or training for wrestling or you know or outside you go to work right. But no, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what happens is one day. You wake up in the morning, and you go, oh, let's get out of bed. And your back goes, yeah, fuck off. And then you go, all right, I guess it's about that time, you know? <laughs> That's hey, yeah. I would like to get out of bed today. No. No, yeah. not today. And then I have to do that, you know, the thing where I move my legs over, and I kind of roll off and get on my feet, and then I stretch for about 35, 40 minutes, and then my back feels good enough to start the day. And then, I, you know, you get a warm shower, and that loosens everything up, and then you try and make the best out of it. And then it cools down and it tightens uh, back up again. I work in a chair, luckily, so when it tightens up, at least I'm sitting. So, I, contrary to popular belief, I try to not sit a lot unless I'm on camera because um, of my knees. Mm. And when I got you, bad knees too, but they're not as bad as my back, so that's good news. <laughs> well, just wait. <laughs> remember what I, I said about that other body uh, okay. body part and 35 knees too. Good news. I have things to look forward to. <laughs> look at my dad. He's uh, okay. So my dad is like, is he sixty-seven or he's sixty-seven? Fine, whatever. Uh, who's also so he's had a shattered ankle from the fire department. He had a stroke a year and a half, two years ago now. Two years ago now. And you know he's he's fine. He was he dodged a bullet by that much as far as stroke go. I mean, when he fell and shattered his ankle, ten stories. He's also dodged a bullet about that close, but yeah, that's another story for another time. Even worse, right? But the wear and watching him get old—it's like I had two surgeries on both my knees for us twenty-one. So it's like, wow, you know, I can't wait to get old and walk down the stairs like him. So, yeah. so I can't imagine a wrestler. We talked to Masada once, right? Oh, we interviewed. This is yes, bless his heart. This is years ago, and Masada's telling us about all these shows that are coming up, and it was a particularly big one that was getting aired mm-hmm. on uh, iPay-Per-View at the time. <laughs> iPay-Per-View, remember when that was cutting edge? That's and, and he's telling us that basically he's got what I call Terry Funk knee, which is there's not really a knee. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, 
oh, no, please. <laughs> and I watched that match. And I'm like, I don't get it. I, I I was playing hockey and I was out. And, you know, wrestlers are just like, eh, fuck it. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest. There's something that happens, no matter what you're feeling, that when your music hits, it's gone. And you've got 15 to 20 minutes to wrap it up because it's coming back, but you got to, you know, you got out there and you do it. <laughs> That's the story I started to tell off air is um, uh, the way I, when I talk about Xavier Crosser uh, then and now, it, it kind of, this is another reason among all the other moral issues with promoters, <laughs> certain promoters, and I mean that literally in general, uh, yeah. Why you were not working more, even though you worked a lot, it kind of pissed me off. I got an answer for you. Oh, please. This, yeah, this is the shoot, man. Let's do it. The reason I didn't work more is because I did not like a vast majority of promoters and how they handled their business. It's pretty much as simple as that. I only took bookings through my very good friends. If they say, hey, I'm working for this guy. He's good people. Come work. I would go work. I would work for my close friends if they were putting on shows for their own promotions. As you know, a few of my friends have started very successful ones, you know, uh, because I know they're going to treat people the right way. Uh, and, you know, when you first start out, you know, it's an internship. That's what wrestling is. Yeah. You go to places for free to work in the hope that someone likes you enough to buy a T-shirt or to get you over enough to get paid the next time or, you know, whatever the situation may be. But uh, wrestling is the carniest business on earth, as far as I'm concerned. It might as maybe an actual carnival. Um, so, Probably even more so. So they would take internships to a level where, like, even after you've earned a spot, here's your here's your envelope of you know a dollar fifty or ten dollars or whatever low amount of money I just spent destroying myself for. You know, and I you know this is not worth it. I I knew my value pretty quickly to the point where like I would go places if. If the reason was right, not necessarily the money was right, actually. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not going to pay me well, at least be a good person, put on a good product, do it wrestling the right way, you know? But if you're going to bring me to a, a shit show with 10 people in the crowd, uh, put me in a match against the guy who's barely trained, and then slide me a 20, I'm going to tell you you'll fuck yourself. You know what I mean? I can't tell you it's very refreshing to hear that. Uh, one of the things that happened when lockdown and COVID happened uh, other than the great debate of indie wrestling's putting on indie wrestling companies putting on shows, which that's a whole other podcast. We'll talk about <laughs> that another time. Not my not my goddamn place. We're gonna slide that over here. Um, was the speaking out and the holding people accountable? And I saw a lot of people go down. People that I had people that were friends that I had no idea what was going on in my own company mm-hmm. that were exposed. I was, huh? Listen. That's about the seventh time. Yeah, speaking out hit hard, right? It did, but then you come around to January 2021 and Joey Ryan's suing his accusers and he found Jeebus. And some of these guys. There's a a special thing with Joey Ryan because normally when people find Jesus, there's a repent. But but he found Jesus, and rather than finding repent, he found lawyers. So, I mean, I don't know if it worked the same way for him. I did not know that we were going to do an all shoot with. Dick. I will fire. I don't know. I'm retired. What are they going to do? Fire me? That's true. I don't, think think, I don't think Joey found Jesus as much as he found some guy named Jesus who told him a. <laughs> who gave him a good hookup? Who for gave a him a good hookup? Yes. I yes. just the, the 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 thing I was saying, which was connecting to what you were saying, 
was this, the accountability was for Twitter clout. Mm-hmm. So you had people that were – I didn't suffer abuse at wrestling, mostly because I'll tell you to fuck off, and that's why a lot of people hate me, mm-hmm. and I keep receipts, whatever. Whatever. The, that one, like I said off air, that one tiff that was nonsense was handled immediately mm-hmm. because people communicated. Yep. Imagine that. Uh, but a lot of it was just, it's frustrating to watch. I, why do you care? To, people are like, why do you care? Just Because I love wrestling, okay? I mm-hmm. give a shit, and I want it to be better. Yeah. And that's okay. You can, you can like something. This weird thing where, well, just don't say so much negative things about it. There's this weird thing where you're not allowed to question what you love, and like, bullshit, I love it, and I want it better. Yeah. So to go along with that point, so when speaking out was happening, it was a very, very depressing time in wrestling. You know, you saw people that you knew or had seen in locker rooms getting, you know, and seeing the real people that were behind these things. And, like, at least I'm happy that the top two handfuls of, you know, those people are gone. And there's a very slim chance they'll ever, ever come back unless the carnies of the carny want to make a quick buck, you know. But they're gone, which is nice. But then there was that lower, I'm going to say 90%, where after a month was forgotten. Yeah. And whether it be because the things that were called out for weren't really call-out worthy or whether it's because people will always protect their friends, whatever the situation is, it's gone away a lot. And, you know, some of that's unfortunate, which is, you know. And the other thing is you always have those people who will find – because the people who will – I call them bandwagoners. They'll jump on the speak-out bandwagon. And then they'll give you that one reason to doubt everyone's story, and then you have the the shitty people who defend abusers who are going to jump, take that one story and use it to defend everybody, you know? So you get a, you get a lot of negativity that came from that in all aspects of it. But I, I like, like I said, I mean, I don't want to say names, too many of them, but, I mean, there's the top handfuls that you, we all know about that will never be back. And it's good that they're gone. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, you know what? And you know what sucks about Joey is uh, it's like he's been at our shows. Mm-hmm. I've worked like two, three, four, four shows with him. He's always polite when you meet him. But That's you, the you, thing. You don't, yeah. you don't really know people. That's really what it comes down to. You don't really know people. No, no. I, you find that out. I found that out in about two weeks span time. And it's one of those things where you know, but you don't expect, oh, that per- – well, shit. <laughs> God damn it. But the funny thing is, in wrestling, I mean, stories are, everyone has them. 95% of them ain't true. But now you find out that maybe some of them were. You know what I mean? Because you just, like, that was the thing. Like, how could this have gone on so long is what a lot of people say. How could this go on so long? It's because you'll hear stories, but in wrestling, we're all liars, you know, in a sense. Like, we'll make up stuff, we'll embellish, we'll tell things. So a lot of times, they'll hear a story and go, okay, buddy, you know what I mean? Or, okay, yeah, I'm sure that really happened, you know? But, you know, it comes to find out a lot. Some of those things were true, you know. And, you know, and we're at fault for some of that also, you know. That That's the other thing is, is the accountability on everybody. Like my part for le- allowing what happened in prime time to happen. I didn't know about it, but I should have been more hands-on to stop it. Mm-hmm. We all have to say, can't, we're all in this. Yeah, but you can't take too much responsibility because a lot of these people are grown-ass men who are making decisions on their own to do these things, or grown-ass women too. I don't know. You know, I, mean, I don't know what the situation was in Speak Out for the Women, but, I mean, grown-ass adults, and they're making decisions, and you can't babysit these fucking people. They're grown, you know? So if they're making these decisions, that's on them. 
It's only if you're physically watching them do it can you really take full-on responsibility for what they've done. One of the first things, and I will never – they've talked about it on the show. Not at great length, but the person uh, – low, 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 prime time. Um, they've talked about it, you know, on the on the um, basic service, not Terrell, because there's so much. There's so much that happened. And one of the first things they said to me on text right before it was coming out on Twitter was, I'm sorry I didn't tell you sooner. And like, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry to me. Yeah. Where, where, where the fuck is he? Because I have a bug. I'm going to kill him right now. Um, so with that being said, since we're in a great mood, uh, Xavier, what's the – is there a story you could share where somebody tried to screw you over or you saw somebody being a terrible person where you – had to deal with that situation, I guess is the question. Yeah, I mean, not really. I Good. mean, maybe very, not that I stepped in because I was Good. super green back in the day, yeah. but maybe very early on. Like, first off, wrestling has evolved in a very positive way, I'm going to say, in the last 15 years. Because when I first started, there was none of this, you know, locker room, you know, locker room leaders or people who were managing the talent and making sure people were acting the right way. That didn't happen. Yeah, no. It was a free-for-all. You showed up. You did what you wanted. No one was watching you. And that was it, you know. So, uh, but, I mean, like I said, after about the first maybe five to six, I don't know, 2014 range, I stopped working a lot of places because I just was tired of people. I'm not a big people person. No, I mean, just, you know. But Whatever do you mean? That's where On Point came in, and that became my home. And then, you know, H2O shortly, shortly after, and, you know, uh, my good friend Stan's running the IGB. Uh, I've gone out to West Virginia. There's a couple of nice places out there I've gone and worked, and there's some good people there. Uh, you know, there's, I, work, I like to work for good people now, you know. And once I started doing that and only surrounding myself with people that I thoroughly enjoyed, there were no issues for me personally, you know. So I didn't see a lot of that stuff that good. people were seeing. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know what? That is something I noticed at Nova, and which is funny because that was another cluster F, but a different kind of cluster F at the end was that locker room thing. Mm. You know, and I'd been in a few. I and I, I don't, you know, tout my. I've been wrestling. I've been in a locker room. I've been in locker rooms. But there's something that happened at Nova, and it continued. That culture kind of continued into prime time, where there was there was somebody talking between promoters and. Wrestlers. There was a locker room leader. There was somebody who was like, "Hey, this is what we got to do." Mm-hmm. You know, to bell times. If you have any problems, you come to me. Yep. If you have any problems at the door, go to Dan. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And um, organization. What? <laughs> How do you? Okay. So, who broke you? Who gave you your first break in the business? Your first uh, match. Uh, boy. We'll talk all about right. you for a little while. Yeah, all right. So uh, I was like 2017, and Matt Tremont and I were in the same high school, and he said, I'm going to be a wrestler. And I said, hey. What year was this? Fuck. You said 2017. I don't think it was that recent. Uh, 2007. Wrong Thank year. You. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you look amazing. I've been hit the head a lot. So <laughs> forgive me. But uh, no, all right, yeah, so 2007. Uh, so we and Matt went to a school in, oh, where was that, northeast Philly somewhere? And, uh, 
in a broken down warehouse that had a leaky ceiling with a ring that barely had padding on it and the ropes were barely wrapped in tape and that's where we started you know and uh, we really appreciated those guys uh, DC Laurie and uh, a guy named Deacon Frost and uh, those guys were very low level guys at the time but I mean they had been around for what that was worth and they gave us our first shot to train and we picked it up pretty much right away I mean some people I've, I've, I've helped train since obviously and uh some people, it goes like this, and some people, it's a grind where you have to work on it every single day. And for me and Matt, it just, it, right away, we had it, you know. And then uh, we got our first break at, uh, Matt got his first break a little quicker than I did. He was, uh, but we, well, but, to be fair, he's nuts. But yeah, but he, you know, he had a genre, he was, he was way better than I was then, too. He was, he was built, he had a good size, he had a good look, and he knew what he wanted, you know, where I wasn't sure yet. But uh, the, uh, Doc Diamond. Ah. Uh, First break. Yeah. Wow. Uh, how did that go? Do you do do you at this point do you remember your first match or is it all oh, goddamn blur? I, I don't remember years, but I remember wrestling. So, okay, there you go. All right, yeah. So we we uh, the the broken down warehouse thing fell under after a couple of months, and they but they felt they knew we had something. They they referred us to Doc, and Doc let us come finish working out with there for no extra cost to us, which was great of them. So we got to go train, finish our training over there, and after paying our dues a little bit with Doc at a couple of shows, he goes, I'll get out there and do it. And my first match was a tag match with Matt Tremont for the DWF slash Loco. I don't know which one it was. They were like a weird combo thing at that time. Tag yeah. team titles, and it called me crazy, but we fucking won them. So my first <laughs> ever, first ever match right. won tag titles. I'm just trying to get you and Matt as a tag team in my head. So, so you were the road warriors of that that millennium. Uh, well, you would think that, but then the very next time, I didn't even get to defend them because I had a knee injury uh, that I had taken out during. It was kind of just, we, we, we had the shotgun the belts from heel to heel. That's what it was. You know what I mean? It was a cool thing, and, I, you know, for a first match, that was fun. And then, I, you know, I fluttered my way, way way down the car, and I was a jobber like I was supposed to be. But that was a cool moment, you know what I mean? And I was appreciative that they gave us that uh, that one shot, you know? How does Xavier Cross get born? Yeah, so I did not – was not always Xavier Cross. There was a DA law that started out, um, but I didn't know what that was. I didn't know who that was. So I was like, well, let's scrap that. I'm not that person. Um, but uh, I liked Cross because uh, I, I liked the, 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 all the different variations you can make of a Cross, and that could be good for gear and different things like that. And me and Matt were sitting in my living room one day, and we were saying, we need a name that goes to Cross. It needs to be different, something that's not being used. And, you know, back in 2007, 2008, whatever it was or whatever, you know, Xavier wasn't really being used very much. So we picked that one out, and it, it, it worked. It flowed well. So I just kind of went with that name. And the character, at first, I wanted to be uh, a better-than-you movie star was kind of what I originally wanted it to be. And that kind of turned into a better-than-you model, and then that just got super flamboyant over the years, you know. And I just – whatever I wanted to wear, I was going to wear it because I was better than you. That's kind of the way I looked at myself. So you were the original MJF. Uh, sort of, but I, I'd like to base my character more off of what Goldust did. I love right. Goldust. He was one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. And I just, the way he took his flamboyance, but he was a great wrestler. And yeah. I just wanted that combination of just flamboyance, make people look at you a certain way to get a reaction, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, times were different back then. I mean, I would get called names that you couldn't even say today without mm-hmm. getting thrown out of the building, you know. Right. Yeah. And I was, I was not that. I never claimed to be, you know. I was right. just, I just wanted to wear what I thought was gonna, you know, make me 
get heat. Better than people. Make people look at me and go, oh, look at that guy. Because everybody in the in the early 2000s wore black and red, came out to heavy metal, and oh, fuck them. You know what I mean? I hated it. I was coming out to Madonna. I wore pink. I wore like Mardi Gras masks. I had feather boas like Hogan. I was going to be a showman, you know? And that's what I wanted. And I, But, you know, the progression of that kind of shifted because, honestly, looking back on it, I did all that because I wasn't confident in who I wanted to be as an actual character. Like, I'm talking now. I don't, I'm not super flamboyant. I'm wearing gray, you know? This is who I really am. How dare you? But that's too boring, you know? But I, I went a little over the top with it because I needed – I wanted to be more, you know? I wanted to overdo it almost to a fault, you know? But as I got older and more mature in wrestling, I, I took away, you know, the mask came off. The feather boa came off and turned into scarves, you know, something a little less flashed, a little more, you know, elegant or whatever. Sure. The pink kind of went away and it transitioned into various different colors, still colorful, but not as vibrant, you know. Just It toned it down and I got more over with just being able to work a crowd in the ring and feed off their energies and tell stories and stuff like that. So I didn't need to hide it. He hide myself as much anymore. Because, like, you always want to accentuate your positives and hide your negatives. And when I was still learning to be who I was, it's easy to hide that by flash. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And, ooh, ah. But when you don't need that anymore, you kind of pull it away. That's what I've done over the years, you know? So where did the voice come in? I One day I was just – I, I do accents fairly well. I'm going to be honest with you. I do accents fairly well. You had you had a, a real Brit fooled. I went on his podcast, and he thought I was British. I, uh, it was a real thing. Harry texted me. He goes, I thought Xavier was British. I, I do accents. So I just started it, and it was – I rolled with it, you know what I mean? And, I, you know, the funny thing was, I didn't always even speak in the accent. There were times I just turned it off, and nobody even cared, you know? <laughs> I would look, we would do interviews with you at, like, like uh, in front of a store or, like, at the shows, the pre-shows mm-hmm. we used to do. And every now and then, you'd do it, you'd drop it in and drop it out. And I could never, is he working me? Is he working <laughs> every, what the fuck does he do it? And I would just look at Gene go, well, listen, Fluffy Man, sometimes you turn on the accent and it really works out for you. When you turn it off, you say, you say you go back to normal. Who invented Fluffy Man? Was that you or Loudy? That was me. That was me. Because <laughs> Loudy never stopped. He yeah, he, 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 he swung with that for the whole rest of the time, man. He loves calling you Fluffy Man. I, I, I love Loudy. I love him to death. Yeah, Loudy's one of best friends. I love him. I, as soon as – I'm waiting for that for On Point. Um, well, what – what a transition, sir. Uh, I, I, as soon as On Point announces another show, and I know it's even tif- difficult now, <laughs> the scars like Hogan were in those Hawaii things. Exactly. Exactly, Nico. I was reading the text. <laughs> um, I will have him back on because I love that man, and I'll talk to him forever, and, uh, and he loves me. Uh, so On Point. Uh, on Point was your, your stage for a little while. On Point... I called on yeah, that was my home for five years, right? Five I called it the Xavier Cross Center. But yeah, listen, from the I was on the very first on point pilot show, which didn't really make it to air because we did it in a closed set with no fans. It was more of a beyond wrestling feel with the wrestlers with the fans, and we were making the noise. 
And we just wanted to see if the talent we thought were good were good enough to put on a show because no one was really using the guys that we were going to use. With the exception of Matt, who was the draw, you know, we wanted to use some different guys that weren't really getting a shot and give them a spot, you know. And we did it, and uh, bless his heart, Lyle came out with his camera and shot photos for us at a 105-degree building in the middle of July, uh, you know, and we recorded it, and it was good. You know, obviously without a crowd and without, you know, we were all fairly green, but, I mean, it was good. So that led to the very first on-point show at the New Moon Rising Wrestling Building that, you know, packed the house, and the show was amazing. And it was actually supposed to be a one-off that Laudy and Matt just wanted to give a shot and see how it went, and it turned into, I mean, what did he go, eight years? And then he ran before he had to take a little break here and there, uh, you know, for personal reasons. And he was getting married, and then pandemics happened and all sorts of stuff, but... It, it led to a pretty good run, and that was my home. Uh, I enjoyed being there. I enjoyed all the guys I got to work with. And let's be honest, I mean, I am on point. There's nobody else who could even claim that. I was the guy. If you wanted a spot on the show, you worked me. If you wanted to get to the next level, you worked me. If you wanted to, you know, I, I worked well with a lot of good people. I mean, and a lot of you obviously brought in some top names I got to work with, which is a huge honor, which is great, you know, but I was the guy. Now, this wasn't at On Point, but On Point, I believe On Point was already a thing at this time. Well, maybe it was right before On Point. But one of the best things that only a handful of people ever saw from more than a one shot with a potato was, was uh, highly entertaining wrestlers. Mm. Xavier Cross and True Blood versus the handicapped heroes, Gregory Iron and, um, oh, God damn it, is, I blanked on him. Zach Allen. Zach Allen, my God. Uh, uh, no, WWE, for God's sake. Okay. I know. It's, it's like, Zach, Zach, what's his last name? It's not Smith, idiot. No. Uh, it's one of the most incredible things. Well, first of all, because one guy has um, is missing a leg. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, great. Oh, my God. What? Um, I can't think of the name of his. Um, Gregory Irons. His. Um, I- I don't know exactly what he has. I don't want to misquote, but he yes, has, I don't want to misquote him either. One side of his body, yes, from a disorder that he has, and he, you know, he, he but he's one of the best. I was going to say it was one of the best matches. First of all, Drew Blood, and this is the part where I say you get looked over, and I know you, you've answered a question I've had in my mind for a while: is you pick your shows on purpose? But that doesn't excuse the fact that uh, more people don't know who you are uh, because you're that good, in my opinion. And so is Drew Blood. And to be against that team in that small building, let me tell you something about that. I don't want to say it's the original new – the Proving Grounds. The new yep. moon where Super Crazy has training now. Mm-hmm. That building is small. It's the perfect, air quotes, wrestling building. It's uh, small. It smells like concrete and ass. Mm-hmm. It's too hot in the summer. It's too hot in the winter. Uh, it's – Cold in February, and it and it's intimate. Mm-hmm. And to see that many people, mm-hmm. that show come out to see that match, says a lot about all four of you. And you could have put that match on TV. You yeah. could have put that match it was on. One TV. of my favorite matches, honestly, I loved it. Uh, the handicap heroes. Let me just put those guys. They're they're, they're top tier. Uh, obviously, Zach Allen is WWE. You don't say anything for him, but Gregory Iron, all the work he's been doing, especially lately with uh, 440 and that that whole uh, yeah that they have going, he's really, 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 really good. 
And I'm glad he's finally getting recognition, you know, along with – because Zach got his. He got, you know, to the highest level. But I'm glad to see Greg get, get his spots now too. Um, but, yeah, Drew Blood is amazing. Um, he's, he taught me so much when I was with him because he had been wrestling for so long at that point. I learned so much my years teaming with him. He taught me a lot about the business and everything like that. But, it's, yeah, I mean, we packed that building, and that was a really good match. And it's uh, fond memories. If only I could watch it. Uh, like I said, you can watch it from the perspective of a potato, but it doesn't, it does exist. But the one thing I want to say, the one thing that comes through on that, watching it, and I've watched it once or twice just to say, yeah, I was there, man, uh, is the, how loud that place was mm-hmm. comes through on that video. It's, 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 it's insane. Yeah. I mean, listen, those guys were so over. I mean, how do you not root for them, right? But I mean, let's not give me and blue, let's take me and blue blood. We were one of the top heels tag teams in this area at that time. I mean, we period. Could go and get end of story. Period. End of story. We, yeah, we got and honestly, we had a good little run. We got taken a bunch of different places, even one-off spots, just to come in against their top face tag teams or whatever. We had a good little run there. It was nice, but we were we were pretty hated. You, 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 you and Drew and and Laddie were working. For oh, like, Laddie, listen, Laddie doesn't get enough credit for all the good work he does as a manager. Like. He was he, there were spots where he would get a reaction from the crowd when maybe we were having a down moment, you know, and he always knew where to be and what to do. So he helped a ton. Yeah, uh, it's it, I, it, anybody listening to me right now, look up highly entertaining wrestlers. Uh, one of the best moments, and I think it's because most people would forget what you guys were coming out to. <laughs> uh, but the one of the incredible moments is the lights going off at the. And Madonna's like a prayer starting, and right at when it breaks down into the verse, you guys come out, and the place would just boo the shit, shit boo you out of that building every time. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> I was a, I, I was a, a bad guy heel. I don't know what word you want to use. I was a heel for. You were a shithead for. A very long time. <laughs> I'm going to say 2011 through. 2000 and maybe 18, not a single ounce of of face or good guy. You were a reprehensible chicken shit. I I could get and like I could go to a new place and get booed from the second I walked through the curtain just because I was easy to not like. Like I said, I had the flash and the the vibrance and Madonna and like I would walk out and I would look at them and I would go to high five that first kid and I was like, you're disgusting and that was it it was just and obviously that's cheap that's easy stuff but you i listen cheap's fine cheap's fine when you're in a new place sometimes you gotta do something to let them know and then he naturally formed after that but no listen we could get booed anywhere it was easy you know it's a lot harder to make people like you it's easy to make people not like you (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i know um who is your favorite who's the easiest person you you could go. You're gonna to go to a show. You're not having a particularly good week, uh, personally. You know, I'm gonna go there. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna look great. Who's your favorite person to wrestle? Stan Styles. No questions. <laughs> Stan Styles. I will be talk, honest. If you're talking six, seven years ago, L.J. Cruz, but right now, Stan Styles, not even a question. L.J. Cruz, man. There's there's a guy who was on auto. And me and L.J. We had, we we are so we had such a good connection. We didn't even talk. I'm telling you, those 2012 New Moon shows, if you hold them against anybody. They were good. They were fucking good shows. I defy you to prove me wrong. Listen, the problem with New Moon wasn't the talent. 
Okay. That's all I'll say. They had a good roster, and they put on good shows. Why it stopped? That's on them. That's all I got to say. You know, I don't, I don't dislike them. I don't have any hard feelings. But when your company doesn't work, when you're putting on that kind of quality, I mean, what happened? You, you had Joe Casey. You had Matt Trima. You had highly entertaining wrestlers. You had Tank fucking Tolan, mm-hmm. a guy who was on the dub. Whether or not you liked his gimmick is fucking irrelevant at this so point. He was on WWE. He was on WWE television. He was on SmackDown every week. For a year and a half, a year, he was on their television shows. He was running their tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keikoa, she oh, yes. so You had uh, uh, Ron Jones. You all of you had you had Jake Bishop. Yeah, Jake. Was Jake great. Bishop was the name. Jake Listen, Bishop. Did they not, had they had everything they needed to succeed. Luis Martinez, Damian Priest, known as Damian Priest in WWE right now. You all, the talent was to say, I defy you. Mm-hmm. This is this is the only time where I go, you know, I wish I could bring the old days back in wrestling. Mm-hmm. I defy you to find better shows in 2012 on TV or otherwise than New Moon Riley. Because you won't. There was, I mean, listen, there was some good, there was some good stuff in 2012. wasn't a great wrestling year, but that, I, I agree. New Moon was really, really putting on some good stuff then. I enjoyed working. I, I liked working for them just because I knew it was going to be a fun show for me. I didn't know any of what was going on behind the scenes that ended up leading to their having to close down or whatever happened there. But when they were putting on shows, they were good. Had a, you had the American Roughneck too, but he's the American Roughneck. Thanks, Craig. I like Roughneck. Okay. Uh, well, hey, no, Roughneck. Uh, he's the one that got me banned off Facebook for a month. Ah, well, you know, you probably deserved it. Right now. No, I didn't. He <laughs> said something rude about Cat Dennings, and all I said was, I'm going to start a fight with you just to get my ass kicked to punch you in the face if you ever say something about Cat Dennings again. And you Facebook, wonder why you're bad. <laughs> and Facebook was like, no, I don't wonder at all. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, a half an hour later, Facebook was like, you're out of here for 30 days. I'm like, no, but it was, did you, I just implied I was going to get my own ass kicked. How, okay. Well, I guess I'll take my punch right now. Yeah, yeah, I was like, well, okay. I had people reaching out to me going, you okay? I'm like, yeah. I said it was a screenshot. They go, ah. I'm like, oh, that's it? Ah? That's what you have for me. <laughs> anyway, back to Xavier Cross, the great Xavier Cross, I'll say. Um, okay, other than the uh, New Moon match at Handicap with a Handicapper. By the way, Gregory Iron ha- uh, has cerebral palsy. That's what it is, yes. And I, I wasn't just quote, you know. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I was like, "Is that it?" I was like, "You know what? I think I'll take a, a botch and I'll look it up and be correct instead of wrong." There we go. Communication. Uh, other than your match, well, that match, what match stands out? As the- uh-huh. by the way, people, real quick, I'm not looking at questions. The Flyers are also on. And to to this is a dead penguin, not a penguin shirt. I just wanted to. Very good. Very anyway, good. That's for you, Mark Angel, you bastard. Anyway, go ahead. I mean, if you want some top matches over the years, I mean, I, I wrestled uh, EYFBO with Drew Blood in a, oh. a on-point tag match. EYFBO are now, uh, what are they, Sanchez and uh, Ortiz, Ortiz AEW? And, uh, AEW. Yeah, they they were just on. They were, yeah, they were excellent on the indies. Uh, they're really, really great guys to work with. I'm glad they, they made it there. Uh, one of my dream matches was that on-point against with Drew Blood against the best around. Uh, that was a banger. That was a real good one. 
Really love that match. Uh, more recently, uh, I wrestled in a death match against Matt Tremont, our first ever singles match against each other in a death match tournament. That was a classic. I love that match. You? No. I do it when, the, when, when, when it's called for. When it's called for. Wow. I'm just trying to picture you coming up. I, listen, I have an extremely high pain tolerance. It doesn't bother me to do I, I noticed. It's really, really pretty, so I don't like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Hey, Xavier, how did you feel about uh, – not that it was a, a – a, uh, I mean, they were during the indie scene, especially in the early 2000s to the, to the 2010s, there was more of that um, – or I should say less of a reason to for hardcore matches. But how did you feel about uh, about blading? Was that um, when you if you found out that you know if you're going to yeah, uh, it all depends. Uh, I don't know if I would be super how comfortable I'm, I'm with complete strangers. You know? uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like if I'm going to go to a place and I'm meeting everybody for the first time and they want to book me for a hardcore match and you know, want a little color or whatever. Right. Eh. You know, I don't know that guy. You know what right. I mean? What his life's like, what he's got going on. You know, everyone makes their own life decisions. I don't want to catch nothing. But no offense. Of course. The times I have done it were only really against very, very good friends of mine. I mean, I, I, the matches I've bled in, I can count on a hand for you if you want. I mean, Mark Angel, very good friend of mine. Matt Tremont, very good friend of mine. Uh, Jimmy Lyon, very good friend of mine. Uh, Mark Angel, again, very good friend of mine. Common right. pieces, Mark Angel. But, you know, I, I don't do it against random strangers very often because, I mean, there are some risks I would imagine. I can't imagine they're that high because over the years you've heard very few stories about, you know, terrible things happening, but there are some small risks and you got to be careful. That's all. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mark Angel's a piece of garbage. You can tell him I said that. No, stop hating on Mark Angel. That Mark, piece of garbage. He's a guy to bash, but he's a great guy. He's a, he's a, he's a terrible father and a, and a terrible father. Oh, he's, yeah, his, his fathering skills aren't very good. But I mean, <laughs> he, 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 I thought you were going to kick his kid more than once. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. That's true. And the, the kid's now wrestling. How good of a father really are you? <laughs> I listen, the kid's amazing. Marcus Madden is one of the best students I've ever seen. All kidding, all kidding aside, uh, again, I hate tracking off of you, but you're the one that keeps bringing the stuff up. So, listen, if anybody, cri- if anybody criticizes, I don't. Uh, if anybody criticizes me, I'm doing what the guests want. Um, when I saw that footage before they uploaded it, mm-hmm. uh, just to just to flaunt my uh, awesomeness for a second, <laughs> I saw it before they they put it out there, and. That kid, hold that fucking kick, so good. I said, listen, I know it's just a super kick, but he's better than you, Mark. <laughs> I say that, dude. I mean, to this day, our favorite thing to tell Mark is that his kid's better than him. So, I mean, it's, there he is. <laughs> yeah, I listen, but he was, I mean, you got to think, though. I mean, Mark's wrestling for, what, 18? I'm going to say 18. It's closer to... It's under twenty, but it's close, and it's it's up there. over fifteen and less than twenty. His son is only seventeen, so his entire life has been wrestling. When I got into wrestling, that kid was crawling all over the ring, mm-hmm. uh, taking shots at me and running away, uh, jumping off the top rope, looking like crap. You know, landing in the ring—not the top rope, but jumping off yeah. the second rope, landed mm-hmm. in the ring. The kid, the kid would fake pin his parents, you know, his dad in the ring, and all. And now he's on posters, and it's blowing my mind. I and also, and you, oh, you wrestled him already? <laughs> Twice. Wow, you're old. <laughs> God damn it, you're old. 
Yeah, I started I started when it was 14 years ago. I started when he was four, and now I'm wrestling him. It's just crazy. I had two vo- I had two moments with that. I, I started seeing him on posters. And I'm like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to die soon. Yeah, yeah, it hits you hard, right? Oh, man. Holy sh- I don't have kids. So, I, <laughs> you know, I watch other kids grow up that I've known for a while. And I'm like, oh, I'm dead. I'm, I'm going to die soon. Yeah. My <laughs> sister... My sister turned 30 last year. My oldest, well, my my oldest sibling next to me, and I was like, "What? What <laughs> happened? Wait a minute. Why does it have to be the one I don't like?" And I can't wish her a happy birthday. Right? Yeah, yeah, time catches up quick. Yeah. Uh, speaking of time catching up quick, uh, we kind of scratched the surface earlier, but we've reached that point where you decided it was it was time to rest. Um, mm-hmm. Again, we scratched the surface, but how long do you? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mull over that decision, or is it? Yes. Or are you one of the smart ones that were like, "I'm done." <laughs> well, I, first off, I've taken breaks before. So, 2000 and forgive me on the year 15 or 16. You know, you're not good with years. Yeah, it's not my thing. But uh, back at on point days, I took an interesting landing through an accidental spot, and I hurt my neck pretty decently, and I took about a year off then. And then it felt good, no pain at all, bumping or anything. So I came back, and then I full-on went from then on. But uh, I'm going to say maybe September, I started really not feeling top top tier, you know, as far as my back was going. And I knew I had some important shows coming up that I wasn't going to, you know, bail on just because it was advertised. And there's one thing you know in wrestling is that if you're advertised, you show the fuck up, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it doesn't matter what kind of condition you're in. I can put on a two-star match and be entertaining. So, you know, call it what it is. Uh, I wasn't going to let people down. And whether or not that's a fault, it is what it is. But I was you know, just not going to do that. So I set up the last couple uh, in my head. Nobody really knew yet, but I had set up my last couple that I wanted, and it was pretty much all of my friends. I got to wrestle one last time before I was going to take my break. You know, I got to wrestle Stan. I got to wrestle – couple of the students from the school I had been working with. Uh, I got to wrestle Mark again, and then uh, Jimmy Lyon is a good friend of mine. And I just, you know, I had wrestled Matt already the previous year, and I thought, you know, this is this is it. This is good for me now. I can rest. I know I've done everything I wanted to do at this point. And if, you know, pain gives in and I'm able to come back and lets up a little bit and I come back and I can do it again for another short short run maybe, I'll do it. But for now, I'm, I'm very comfortable doing my role in wrestling as it is now which is kind of just helping. Being well, a that, that, that was my next question. You're still going to be associated with H2O and I'm yeah, assuming. Yeah, H2O, IGB, and On Point, and even uh, Sean Henderson runs his, you know, bi-yearly shows that he does not help out with those. I mean, and I go to Matt's school. I live fairly close by, and I'll, I'll work out with the kids and roll around a little bit. And, you know, sometimes I'll even agent matches for them if Matt asks me to, you know, and just make sure that they're not. Because sometimes when you're green, you want to do – all your stuff, and you don't necessarily know where to place it to make sense, and it helps to have somebody kind of place your stuff with you so it kind of makes sense in the match. So I like helping out and doing that stuff, and that's kind of where I'm at peace with everything right now, so I'm good with it. 
With that being said, I know you wanted to cover this, so this is the time now. Uh, H2O and um, yes. Interstellar Bonanza. One thing anyone at home should get from this is that you should always put over your friends and their businesses because if you don't, you're a dick. So here we go. So <laughs> Wait, can you say that one more time so I can mark it as a highlight? Yeah, really uh, loud. If there's one thing you should always do in life, is you should always support and put over your friends' businesses because if you don't, you're a dick. Thank you very much, Xavier Cross. It cost, it cost me zero dollars to do what I'm about to do. Never forget that. It also cost you zero dollars to hit the share button. Here we go. So, yeah, uh, Matt Tremont, very good friend of mine, owner of H2O, uh, promoter, booker, everything. He does the whole deal. And uh, coming up on February 20th, that's a Saturday, he's running his show Heir to Thy Throne, which is a really cool concept where he's having all of his students uh, partnered up with veterans from H2O as a, as a team, and oh, kind of oh, like okay. old NXT was, where the, the vets mentored a, a, a rookie, right? And they're going to wrestle in a big uh, tournament, and the winner of that tournament is going to move on to the Matt's Big Hardcore Kingdom uh, tournament. And that's going to be uh, February 20th, 7.30 bell. You contact Matt Tremont or H2O for tickets, and it's also going to stream live on IWTV. I just wanted to just break in that, uh, which is a good part to put this. Uh, sure. IWTV, you might just... It is changing wrestling, and there is a huge thing that happened this past week, and it's going to, you never know, you might see H2O on your television sometime real soon. IWTV just debuted a Pluto television channel called Pro Wrestling Television. It's going to, listen, IWTV has changed wrestling for the better in so many ways. Uh, Real real quick, because I know we're, we're running a little short probably, but so back in the day, wrestling was you go to a show and you buy a ticket, right? Or you wait for the shittiest DVD ever produced to come out so you can watch it post, right? There was not high-end production with the exception of Pancos back in the day That's and, maybe, and smart, smart video. If you didn't have either of those two, you were getting the uh, barely watchable DVD with, you know, music cutting out and commentary cutting out. And I will say this. I have contributed to pretty good-looking New Moon shows, but that goes back to the other conversation of how good we were. Continue. There you go, right? But, yeah, my point is, though, I mean, if you wanted to watch it, you weren't getting good quality stuff unless you were there live, right? Now you you have the ability to watch from the comfort of your own home on excellently produced, uh, top-tier quality shows, you know, from the IWTV guys who are great. So it's definitely changed business for the better. I'm super happy that especially the young kids now have a, a platform for people all over the world to see their stuff, you know. If you wanted to see my stuff, I had to carry a best of DVD to give you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I just think it, that's a huge week. Um, o, one of the guys I look up to is in the business, O'Shea, uh, who wrestled in Nova in primetime, got signed to Ring of Honor uh, the same day that ID, IWTV just went on the air with pro wrestling. I had no idea it was coming. <laughs> Boom, it's there. And I'm like, thank you. Thank yep. you. It's great. Yeah. Uh, also, you could also if you don't like WWE Network, you can sign up for IWTV at nine ninety nine a month. Nine ninety nine. It's a great purchase. It has a backlog from I don't know hundreds of promotions. I'd assume at this point are on there, and you get a lot of backlog stuff from their past. Plus, every time new shows come out, a lot of them are uploaded fairly quickly. So if you miss the show live and it's not streamed live, you can always get catch the rerun in still really good quality on IWTV, which is great. Which brings me to my next show, which is not live on IWTV, but will end up there eventually. It is the Stan Styles Intergender Bonanza 8. 
That is a little bit later on. I just wanted to put it over because it is coming soon, and I like to say, you put over your buddies. So that's going to run Saturday, April 24th. If you're not sure what the intergender bonanza is, he's taking top talent of the males and top talent of the females, putting them against each other. And let me tell you that like, some people don't get into that, and I understand their perspective, but these matches are great. The women, the female talent he's bringing in are some of the best in the indies that aren't signed, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Ray Lynn, Zoe Sky, they're amazing. Uh, not, I'm not leaving people out. I'm just naming the top two that pop into my head. Plus, you got you got Stan. You've got, I mean, I mean, Mike Law is a great worker. He's there. I mean, there's some really just top tier talent that, and the shows are every one of them's been good. I haven't, I've been a part of all of them up until this one, which I'll miss. But they're all amazing shows, and I'm, I, I haven't really seen a bad match, honestly. So that's something to check out. Those tickets uh, are on sale now. You can contact Stan Kawasa, Stan Styles, and or the Intergender Bonanza page, and you can ask him for tickets. Uh, that is Saturday, April 24th, 8 p.m. bell time. Last one. I wasn't going to put this one in. I'm going to throw it in real quick. Weekend at, Sean, Weekend at Sean's 2 from Sean Henderson. It's a two-day show coming up this Friday and Saturday. That's also live on IWTV. I'm not sure if you guys tickets left because, like I said, pandemic. You can only sell so like a couple handfuls. I was right? say like 20 You want to contact them, Sean Henderson, for tickets you can, if not, live on IWTV this weekend. I also want to add uh, to help sell these shows for IWTV that if you've not signed up, Every company that is with IWTV has a weak uh, promo code that you can put in mm-hmm. for IWTV. So if there's a show, if you want to support that show mm-hmm. and you're not sure you want to sign up for IWTV, go to the social media pages of the wrestling companies that are local to you. Yep. Look for the code. I'm telling you, they all have all one. Of them, he's right. Everyone has one, and you can usually find it right on their social media page. You will uh, get two weeks free, I think. I think it's two weeks at this point, some are one week, but you will get a trial before you buy. Yep. And I'm telling you now, these, this is for the w, This is for the people, and understandably, that are like tired of the WWE shit. Um, $9.99, and it's hard to say if the show's overshadow the amount of content that are on the WWE network because there's a lot but the company there's companies coming out of the ass on that network and I mean that in the nicest way possible exactly. IWTV it just keeps expanding I love it uh, I won't ask you where people to follow you on Twitter because you aren't I don't like wrestling Twitter it is very toxic in my opinion. don't know what you're almost to a fault no I don't no not almost to a fault to a fault yeah it's it, it, it doesn't I had one, and I was starting to enjoy it, but then it just – there's too much negative. They, they don't focus on positives on there. They always find something negative to say. I mean, I, I didn't see a day where I could go on there and just see only positive things said. It's just it, – it's too much, and honestly, I didn't need it. I, at the middle of last year, and it was after speaking out, mm-hmm. I fell deep into the starting shit on Twitter thing. And it was kind of on and off for me. Mm-hmm. And I just got tired of it because mm-hmm. it made me miserable and it affected my personal life. I was on it too much. And, then, well, right now with Facebook, I'm not on it at all. But um, so thank you, mm-hmm. um, Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. I will sometimes still find myself replying to an, somebody I think is an asshole or is an asshole. Tweeting it and immediately deleting it because it's like, no, no, don't focus on that person. Focus on what you like. So I purposely, there's a lot about the Royal Rumble I liked. Mm-hmm. There's a lot about the Royal Rumble I didn't like. Seems right. Uh, and if I couldn't word it, yes, yes, it does. Oh, imagine that seeing something you don't like 100% of. I'm crazy to have that notion. Yeah. 
I, if I couldn't wear it, if there was something I critiqued and I did it from the HIC account, mm-hmm. I kept it positive or I worded it professionally to be like, I don't think that blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm tired of being part of the problem. That's, it's, that's taking a first step. I, my first step was, I just don't want this anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm on that brink. Um, I have not met. Here's the weird thing. Listen, I have an addictive personality. Look how fat I am, okay? I like eating chocolate. Why are you so fat? I like eating chocolate, dude. I like cheese, chocolate, and I'm a, a guido. What do you want from me? Um, I have an addictive personality to social media because you, the, the, the absolute uh, immediate feedback you get off of comments is addicting. Yeah. It sends a chemical reaction to your brain where you're like, I'm the man. And in the grand scheme of things, who gives a shit? <laughs> Uh, the only person I will, the only entity I will shit on Twitter on right now is Barstool Sports, but that's another discussion again for another time that I don't have to explain to either one of you, gentlemen. No, um, no. Social media is the best thing that ever happened to the world, and the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to the world. And that's the same thing that social media is about wrestling. It's the best and the worst thing that's ever happened to professional wrestling. Just ask Jim Cornette. Yeah. You know, the issue is that it gives everyone opinion. And the good thing is that it gives everyone an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> That's that quote. Love is the greatest feeling in the world, but it's also the greatest pain. Yeah. But the problem is a lot of people don't know when enough's enough or how to be positive on certain things and the negative overweighs it. And then it's just then it's just a problem, right? If there's no, if the positive is not weighing the negative, then it's just a problem. And that's what it was for me, so I got rid of it. Nico, real quick, I saw your uh, text message, uh, your your DM. IWTV, what's the URL? Independent Wrestling Television. Yeah, Independent Wrestling Television. Uh, look them up. Um, like I said, find a local company in your area and look up their free code. If they're If they're big enough, they will be posting on that network. And you'll get a free code, or I'll, I'll send you a company that you sign up. Yeah, for. yeah. Um, if you can't find any, uh, shoot them. I mean, H2O 100% has them. You can send them theirs. Yeah, absolutely. Or or shoot me a DM, and I'll link you to the code that somebody else does. Um, but I'm telling you, when I say independent wrestling TV, you can find matches of AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, uh, anybody in AEW at this if point. If you want to watch any human being before they were on television, you can find them on <laughs> IWTV. That's a good way. Why have they hired you as the, hey, do you want to watch this person, any human being before they were in WWE or AEW? I turned them down. That's why they have an answer. They know. Ah, the truth comes out. Yeah. I'm a a homebody guy. I don't like doing extra from, you know, I like them. I like what they're doing, but promote yourself. You got to do more. You're not a people person. I'm not a people person. All right. Welcome back. Gentlemen and ladies, you are first wrestling historian of this year, the year of our Lord, 2021. After the last decade that was 2020, we are back anew, Anon, uh, with a wonderful look back at a time when titles were actually called belts, where a a title shot, what was now a title opportunity, where there was wrestling in all 50 states with no social distancing required, and you can boo and cheer and 
Hate the people that you want to hate without fear of reprisal. There is no social media to know anything about your favorite wrestler's personal comings and goings and who was pregnant or who was not. Back when sports entertainment was professional wrestling. That's why we're in black and white right now, in case you couldn't tell. Um, and this week in pro, in pro wrestling history, uh, some, I'm going to give you an idea of how much wrestling has changed, how far it's come, um, in, in both in terms of, um, of house shows and uh, television. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, January 31st, uh, 2000, 21 years ago. Uh, this week in pro wrestling history, Great. Uh, the, the Monday Night Wars were um, in full swing, were kind of winding down, but for the first time uh, during the Monday Night Wars, both Monday Nitro and Monday Night Raw were in the same state, about 300 miles apart from each other. Uh, Monday, uh, WCW Monday Nitro was in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania while Monday Night Raw was in Pittsburgh uh, at the same time. And both shows were live. You know, WWE would tape theirs and, um, two weeks in a row, but now they were both live. Some said, some said even some wrestlers went to the WCW show and then drove to the WWF Monday Night Raw show. That was an urban legend that happened that night. No, we know that happened. Yeah, we do. There's pictures. Yeah, and because that night on uh, Monday Night Raw, uh, during a tag team match between the New Age Outlaws versus Steve Blackman and Al Snow, Road Dogg was thrown out of the ring and, for reasons known only to him, got into it with the guys in the crowd. Just so happened, the men in the crowd sitting in the front row happened to be Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. January 31st, 2000 was the debut of the Radicals with a Z. That's how you know they were. That's how, that was Vince Russo's clue about how you know you were cool. Yeah, but they uh, have a Z on it. They have a Z. So you know they're really radical, see, when they have the Z on it. Uh, anyway, they uh, took it to a uh, road dog. Um, they belly to a Fisherman Buster Suplex by Perry Saturn gave way to a tremendous frog splash by Eddie. Uh, suplex by uh, suplex on Billy Gunn by Dean Malenko gave way to the diving headbutt of Chris Benoit, much to the incredible cheers of the fans, who even though all four of these men were wrestling on WWE for the first time ever in their careers, everyone in that building knew exactly who they were. And even if and if you're watching at home like me, you've got to hear Jim Ross putting all four of these men over, including mentioning the fact that Chris Benoit was never beaten for the WCW Heavyweight Championship that he won from Sid Vicious. So he, in fact, was still the WCW Heavyweight Champion. Go ahead, Dan. No, but his foot was under the rope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how WCW explained it. But um, January 31st. Uh, 2000, uh, Monday Night Raw and Monday Nitro went head-to-head uh, with the debut of the Radicals. And that the, the rating for both of those shows, uh, <laughs> Nitro did a 2.8, and Monday Night Raw did a 6.6. I'm close. Little. Uh, 
Yeah, it was real close. There's two things, gentlemen, that uh, happened in 2000 that uh, were in, in the span, in the year between 99 and 2000, where I was like, well, WCW's effed. And that was the, what I watched. Anybody who knows, I was a WCW guy. Uh, there's two things. One of them happened in the summer of 99, and one of them happened on this date that he just mentioned. And that was Chris Jericho leaving Nitro, and that was the Radicals going to WWF. And I remember saying to myself, well, that's bad. Mm-hmm. Well, we got Goldberg and Sting, and I love Sting, but... You got a lot of Yeah, well, <laughs> I just... I, it's it's maybe part of it's retrospective. But I remember sitting there watching Nitro going, why is Jericho not on my television more? Why is he the TV champion? Who gives a shit? So I know I was saying those things, but to see him just go on Nitro, uh, on Raw, excuse me, on Raw, just do that, and then the reaction that the Radicals got the following year, not even a year later, is just like, well, we're... we're mm. Vanilla Midgets, right, Kevin Nash? Go figure. Go figure, indeed. Well, the uh, the Radicals, Perry Saturn, uh, Dean Malenko, uh, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, all had varying degrees of success uh, in the WWF. Uh, all would... Uh, hold a championship gold at one point. Uh, obviously, Eddie and Chris Benoit would reap the, the most benefits, even though these got, these were the same guys that were in, on WCW competing in the Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, when they uh, were given a, a chance or were seen by what everyone else had seen in the uh, WWE, these were two of the most, most over uh, champions and the most the two best wrestlers in the entire company at one point. Eddie and Chris obviously would both go on to be world champions, culminating in that great uh, Madison Square Garden moment after WrestleMania. And uh, it was, um, uh, the, the rest I should say is history, but it started uh, January 31st, 2021 years ago this week that uh, the Radicals with a Z uh, premi- uh, debuted on WWF. Hardy Boys with a Z, the Dudley Boys with, boys a, with Z. a Z. Yeah. <laughs> you were cool. You had a Z in your name. That, that's all Vince Russo's idea. I don't know why he thinks that he made that. And even Edge made that, uh, uh, the, the segment when, um, Edge brought out the, uh, the Hardy Boys and there were two little, two little people, two midget wrestlers. Uh, they, cause it was from the future. Edge and Christian were doing a, a, a an Edge and, uh, a show from the future, so we can see um, the Hardy Boys. Man, are they still spelling? You still using these s's <laughs> in the future? It's like that they were doing the show from the future. Yeah. Uh, well, if I can jump in, I just want to say one thing about the difference between the WWF and WCW at that time. Uh, yeah. There was many differences. One was better, but uh, so WCW. Think about the guys that came from the WWF to WCW. Mm-hmm. Hogan, Luger, Savage, Hall, Nash, DiBiase, right? I mean, mm. out of those guys, they're all main eventers, yeah. right? Mm. And WCW brought them in and used them as main eventers, which isn't hard. Then WWF went and took Jericho and Benoit and Guerrero and, I mean, Booker T even. Mm. 
and they were kind of mid to lower card guys. Benoit made it to the main event scene for a little while, and Booker T towards the very end did. But they took those guys, like Jericho and Guerrero, were undercarders, right? Mm-hmm. And then they made them main eventers. Yeah. I think that was a major difference in, like, philosophies that ended up working out for WF in the long run was the usage of the talent they were acquiring and what talent they took and what they turned them into rather than just taking guys who are already top guys and using them as top guys. It's, that's, that's not hard. It takes very little effort. But to take a guy who was underutilized and turning him into a main event, eh, that takes a little extra work. That's, that's something that shows – that's an impressive feat in my opinion. It is incredibly impressive, Xavier, and even more so because the the guys that uh, went from WCW that were underutilized in WCW and went to the WWF, they kind of made it on they on the strength of their own characters and their own uh, charisma, and they had to because Vince had and still ma- maintains a there was still a WCW bias that uh, has never gone away. Um, see Sting WrestleMania Triple H. Um, Don't even bring it up. Too late. Um, but um, I didn't contest that was the correct finish. But go ahead. No, it wasn't. Really, really, really wasn't. Um, but that's oh, it's a oh, whole oh, other oh. podcast. Oh, Xavier. Oh wait, wait. I want to finish your point, Craig. And then I want to see you guys argue. Come on. <laughs> but the guys that but uh, Vince, who was at, in charge at the time, uh, was never a WCW guy. And the guys that he, they brought in, he he never even saw wrestle. Your Steve Austins, your your Mick Foley's, he wasn't a fan of them. Jr. had to vouch for these guys to get mm-hmm. them in, and because he had the ear of Jr. had the ear of Vince, that's the only reason they were even signed to the WWF in the first place. And they got themselves over mm-hmm. um, to, uh, I mean, and with Jericho, we knew how good he was. We knew how good Steve Austin, how good stunning Steve Austin was, how good Cactus Jack was. Um, but it's it's Vince and the WWF who saw them as Southern wrestlers. Um, and when the merger happened, when WCW closed and they could bring over WCW talents, even then that was still a, you know, how long was Booker T kept down before he finally won? Mm-hmm. Um, and even being buried by Triple H at another WrestleMania, which was not the correct finish. Um, but That one I can agree with a little bit more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we like, all agree on that one. <laughs> yes. And, but I um, my thing with uh, with 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 Sting and Triple H, you finally had Sting, the last holdout. He finally shows up on WWE, on Monday Night Raw, on his first match ever in the WWE after 25 years, his first WrestleMania, and you had you overbook it to hell. We bring out the 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 Degeneration X, and we'll bring out uh, the NWO, and do all that. And you still can't put Sting over. It's what you're saying. It's like, even though it's over, and the WWE won, I still want to let everyone know that WWE is is still better and always was better. So we finally have this man who we've built up so much, finally coming to the WWE for the first time, and we're still going to beat him because just to show you one more time that we're the WWE, and if if Sting wins, that means that. We'll have to admit the WCW was better, or Sting was better. So we can't do that. So we've got to have Triple H have another win at WrestleMania because Lord knows he needs it more than anyone else. <laughs> because whenever there's a WrestleMania coming and Triple H isn't on the card, 
oh, well, I've got to wrestle the guy that's, that's really hot right now. I've got to wrestle Seth Rollins. I've got to wrestle um, CM Punk. I've got to wrestle whoever is like the big deal because then that'll give me – because I need that more than anything else. Not these young guys. Not the guys that need to need to push. And not that a loss was going to hurt my career or legacy at all. But I've got to go over, especially on Sting, because that will prove that the WWE is better. Why, Xavier, would you think that was the correct booking decision to have Triple H go over Sting? I see your point. Thank you. I don't, I don't horribly disagree with what you're saying. But here's my thought. What year did Sting show up at that WrestleMania? So 15? I have 15. 2015, right? How old was Sting? Oh, 52. Yeah, two, three. Maybe. And when was the last time Sting had wrestled prior to showing up there? Uh, less than a year before that. So, but I mean, it was over a year. It was about to give or take a year, though. So I disagree with you, too, Xavier. <laughs> well, Triple H hadn't wrestled in a year either. He was, he's the Easter Bunny. He's like the Undertaker. They, he My wrestled once a year. Triple H was quite a bit younger, was still in better shape. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not for nothing, but still had a prominent role as a top person in the company, whether it be in the ring or out of it, right? Okay. He knew this thing wasn't going to – and he knew the match wasn't going to be, you know, 15 minutes of just those two going at it. That's why you had the NWO. That's why you had DX coming out there. Wasn't there a sledgehammer used at some point? Yes. Sledgehammer, the NWO, DX. It wasn't clean. It gives things something to come back for, you know, come back after. And then he has the match with Seth, you know, in the authority and that whole deal, right? And that ends his career. Yeah, which was unfortunate. That's, you know, but it also goes to prove that maybe, you know, it was about that time anyway. Not to put Sting down, but I'm just saying, there was a very simple move. <laughs> Sorry, you know. Sting, we're going to have to put you down. No, not like that. But, you know, you know, I just think that for where Sting was at, I just don't see there being a need for him to win at all. And while Triple H still had a prominent role as a top-tier figure on programming, where the win would have done him more in that particular sense. In a very basic, non-intelligent, logic argument yes and taking both of everything you said it made no sense to me and i'm i tried and i'll explain why i pulled myself out of sting's ass for this moment because sting mark right here grew up a little stinger you see that's the difference i think you guys are both wcw guys i didn't watch wcw like that hold on i still have this goddamn nascar uh the uh, diecast car that came out in 95, I don't know, 5, 6. But no, no, here's what I was going to say. So explain what I was going to say. The part of me that was like, why would you bring in, as far as the, this is God. This is, when you see WCW, you see this dude's face. And yeah. it changed over the years. At a very basic level, why would you bring him in, the guy you consider your, the other Undertaker, that is not in a comparison I made. That is a comparison others have made. Yeah. Uh, and he was better than Undertaker, but that's another discussion for another time. Well. Um, and just to have him lose. First of all, I hated everything about that match. I hated the run in. The match was fine until all the WCW-like booking, which I guess fits, started happening. But just to let you know, Xavier, 
that I pulled my head out of Stinger's ass for long enough. This is when Dean and Chris and, I, and Omega Squad and I were still doing the show together. And we were on full time. We were watching wrestling like mad. And they both asked me because we used to run down the car. Who do you think is going to win? And when it came to me, I said Triple H. Because I knew no matter what we discussed here, be it before or retrospectively, there was no way in hell Sting was going over Triple H in front of 60,000 people. Just basic level right there. Part of me was like, why would you do that, Sting? But the other part of me was like, of course not. I will say this, and it's, but this, I'm going to kind of side with you guys a little bit with this point. It's that it did, it doesn't matter to them if Sting wins that match. If Sting wins that match, then you know Triple H gets pissed off. The same angle happens with the authority. He he goes in the match with Seth. He still Seth. He still blows his back out. That whole thing still happens, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's no real difference in the in the angle of the booking there, but. Triple H needed to be on TV sure. for, you know, for years to come. Sting yeah. wasn't going to be that guy. So, yeah, you could have had him win, but did it hurt him that he lost? Does everyone go back and go, oh, my gosh, his only match in the WWF, and he lost it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it does. Sting was a WCW legend who had his one WrestleMania moment and got the whole thing. Good for Sting. And I, he's an elite-level talent. I, I, I watched some stuff, obviously, since on the network and everything like that, and I, I love Sting. Sting's great. I just wasn't a big Sting guy back in the day because I was a WF guy, and I was just watching people get super kicked. That was my thing. Craig, and, I'm deleting and, all of this, and he's not going to be on the show. No, got it. <laughs> and, and I and I and I wasn't a WCW guy, Xavier. I was a wrestling guy. I watched both growing up. I and I I go back to the 70s, where the only wrestling I had to watch was the one in my backyard here in the spectrum was all WWF. And it wasn't until syndicated TV and and the after magazines that I even knew our Ric Flair. Or yeah. that an NWA even existed. So I I watched whatever was on. So it wasn't I wasn't a WCW guy. I wasn't a WWF guy. I was a world class guy. I was a Georgia Championship Wrestling guy. I was a full, I was a Championship Wrestling from Florida guy. Okay. Um, I was an AWA guy, uh, and and I was an ECW guy. I was all for I'm I'm a wrestling guy. What um and the only thing that maybe mars my is the way that. The WWF always treated guys like Triple H and The Undertaker, how they were the Easter Bunnies, the Santa Clauses, the Groundhog Day. They would come out once a year just to, to be seen and everything. And, and and them and putting The Undertaker streak aside, Triple H didn't need this at all. He he needs – Triple H needs a WrestleMania to feed his ego. It's the only reason he comes back. And that's, that's my problem. If you want to put Sting in his first WrestleMania match and have him lose – well, it should have been the Undertaker in the first place. Then I could say, okay, but yeah, losing, yeah, but losing a Triple H, come on, Triple H doesn't need a Triple H didn't need that win. And if nobody cares, and if it was just a one-time thing between a guy who's 50 years old and to a guy who wrestles once a year, what's the harm in giving it to the? You couldn't give WCW that one little bone, that one little thing. And it'll be, like you just said, it'll be gone forever. No one's going to even care anymore what was going to happen to Sting and Seth Rollins is going to happen anyway. So what was the harm in giving him that one win? But anyway, that's... I, you, know, oh, you also don't know. I mean, what are the chances that the match with Seth, if he doesn't get hurt, doesn't lead to him having some sort of a face... A title run. Not a title run necessarily, but a, a comeuppance, you know what I mean, where he yeah. gets back at the authority. Maybe there was a bigger picture. We don't absolutely know. But I see yeah. your point. I was completely convinced, had Sting not gotten hurt, 
he was going to get his moment. If they gave it to Goldberg twice, they could definitely give it to Sting. That's what I'm saying. I until think they, until, uh, the end game there was for Sting to win something. That's what yeah. I was about to say. That match with Seth Rollins. There's nobody can convince me otherwise. I don't care what the dirty sheets would say. I am thoroughly convinced that they were going to give Sting that moment. He was going to beat Seth. Seth had two. They had the end. Seth was wrestling two matches. He was already tired. Mm-hmm. Seth, he was going to beat Seth by the skin of his goddamn the ass, the hair on the back of his ass. Seamus mm-hmm. was going to come in with the. They they were going to get that moment. Sting winning the belt, holding it, get the pictures. Really? Everybody going nuts. Seamus was going to cash in and kick his fucking head off. I would have liked it. I I I, I was going to be a happy little singer, even if that happened. I'm like, oh, he's dead. But at least he went out <laughs> With that thought in your head, I mean, the, with that being the scenario that could have panned out, right, and knowing he was going to go into a big feud with the authority, does it make sense for the face to win right away, or does it make sense for the face to lose only to keep getting shit on and shit on and shit on, only to make the big face final breakthrough, win the spot, win the title, whatever it would have been? It makes more sense for Triple H to win the first one. And that's what I meant. I, I okay. I'm gonna let you two. I don't disagree. I, I don't. I don't agree okay. at all. Also, uh, that happened. Something else that happened this week. A uh, landmark victory uh, in probably the greatest tag team feud in the history of professional wrestling uh, marked one of their first milestones on February second, 1986, in the Omni in Atlanta. A team of Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton, the Midnight Express, defeated the Rock and Roll Express to win their first NWA tag team title. Uh, these guys had been going at it for two years at at this point. They started their feud in the Mid-South, uh, and they feuded over the Mid-South Tag Team Championship through record crowds throughout the South in New Orleans and Texas. Uh, Houston even had a scaffold match in the in the uh, in the Summit Arena in Houston, uh, carried all the way into the NWA at the time. The Rock and Roll Express won the NWA Tag Team Titles on their first match. You know they pulled a Xavier, they pulled a Xavier Cross. They won the Tag Team Titles on their very first match in the NWA. In a whole in in an entire one hour of television was a match against the uh, the Koloffs, uh, and um, they won. And the Midnight Express debuted in the NWA a month later. And uh, it's under express, explicit orders from Booker Dusty Rose that the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express do not touch each other for an entire year. Both guys had different programs. The Rock and Roll Express stayed with the Koloffs. The Midnight Express wrestled the New Breed, Barry Windham and Ronnie Garvin, uh, other tag teams. But they did not touch each other for an entire year until the feud started. And when they did... It was red hot for another two years, and when it culminated in the Midnight Express beating the Rock and Roll Express February 1st, 1986, for their first World Tag Team Championship. Which brings us to today in wrestling history. And, you know, with the pandemic on now and with no live crowds on, you know, wrestling on TV, you would think would be all the rage because since we can't attend in person, we can watch it on our TV sets in the comforts of our own home. 
The ratings don't really refl- reflect that. But uh, on this date in 1989, uh, the second version of, you know, the M- NBC and Saturday night's main event, where once a month they would take over the Saturday night live time slot, well, it got so popular that they would make a primetime debut and call it the main event. Well, the first one, Hogan versus Andre, did record numbers on NBC. Well, this was the second one. Uh, wasn't Hogan and Andre. It was Hogan and Randy Savage teaming up against the big boss man and Akeem in the main event. Uh, the Mega Powers uh, with manager Elizabeth. And if you recall what happened on that particular night, uh, Randy Savage was thrown out of the ring by Akeem and on top of Elizabeth, who took a hellacious bump. And I mean, manager of valet, advocate, whatever you call it, uh, whoever that is, she she took a hell of a bump. Knocked out. Hogan takes her back. Savage is left to fend for himself. Hogan comes back, even though the, the cameras are in the back with Elizabeth. Savage is acquitting himself quite well. Hogan comes back. They get the win. And, of course, all hell breaks loose. And the mega powers explode. Leading up until the the WrestleMania that year where Randy Savage would lose the heavyweight championship that he gained exactly one year earlier at WrestleMania 4. This will culminate in WrestleMania 5. But the main event on this date in 1989, 32 years ago, did an 11.6 on network TV. Remember when I said a week ago where I, I – and I'll say because I don't give a shit if Brian Alvarez ever hears this or gets mad at me because I'm a nobody and he's somebody for some reason, uh, where he still posts and, – and, and not just Brian Alvarez, but people cite him. But this is one of the things I'm sure annoyed Xavier on um, Twitter is people fighting over ratings of a, hundred, a couple hundred thousands. <laughs> and – I like wrestling. I said it on the interview with Xavier, saying it now in the Wrestling Historian with Xavier Cross. I love wrestling. I want wrestling to be better. Uh, I don't fully subscribe to wrestling, but better in my day. But I don't diss that point of view. But I do think that there's good wrestling all over the place right now that deserves those ratings. But they're not getting those ratings. So to argue every week, every fucking Wednesday, about AEW or WWE, NXT not breaking a million or barely breaking a million when WCW Nitro were, was pulled off the air in 2001 for less, <laughs> it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. Those numbers are insane. And it goes back to the discussion we were having on Nerd Herders, uh, episode 8. Check it out, YouTube, Dan. VSCNation.com for the audio podcast. Uh, the people watching three episodes of WandaVision are going, this sucks, I, don't, I hate it, I don't know what's going on. And there's two examples we used, and one of them on this show. The example I used was uh, Catherine Picard becoming Borg at the end of Star Trek Next Generation episode, and you having to wait a goddamn year to find out what's going on, and the friggin' mega powers exploding. A year! A year, most of these petulant children couldn't handle 
They can't handle three episodes of WandaVision, let alone waiting a year to boil over a feud. We could shit on Vince and WWF for a thousand things, but that is brilliant. Waiting that long, and they've done it here or there where something will happen, and a year later, a comeuppance will happen, and it's brilliant, and they don't do it enough. Just like social media is the best and worst thing to happen in wrestling, so is the network. The 24-hour thing, I love having access to all this stuff. I, I hope we don't lose it with this merger that's coming. I like the old stuff, but at the same time, you can do a story in two or three weeks, maybe four, and it's affecting people's viewership of the product. Sure, it's a quality thing sometimes, but it's also it's it's also the I need it now, I need it now, I need it now, and it's that's killing it everything. That's what it is. People don't have an attention span anymore. And whether that's just how times have changed in the United States, maybe. But you couldn't run Hogan Savage for a whole year now. First, it would never work. They'd have to run that in three months tops. You know what I mean? Because people wouldn't want to wait. They don't have the ability to wait anymore. You know, they just don't. And it's only here because I watch a lot of New Japan, and they, they're patient. Uh, everything is built. The crowds just appreciate what they get. And I think here we have too many options, and people don't have an attention span. Also, Xavier, thanks to the – we're – in 1989, there was only four shows a year. There was Royal Rumble, there was WrestleMania, there was SummerSlam, there was Survivor Series. Now there's a pay-per-view every month. Yeah. So yeah. So you're you're just setting up your where it, your Monday night programs now are just setting up your next pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's nothing that's going to be a slow burn. Nothing is going to be a, a a long game. You know, there's everything is going to be uh has to be taken care of. You know, I also think agree with your point. I think there's, as it's crazy as that, there's too much wrestling. Yeah, you give too much, and then you get nothing back because they've seen it all. They see everything every every Monday wrestling, Wednesday two wrestlings, Friday wrestling, Sunday pay per views. If it's Saturday, sometimes AEW runs their pay per views. Mm-hmm. So how many days a week are there? Is there no wrestling? You, none, because you also forget MLW, forget Ring of Honor, got the show, got got the show going. New Japan, if you have a subscription to them, you've got uh, even IWTV now is a thing. You know what company I'm real mad I haven't been able to watch during the pandemic? Uh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of Wow lately. Wow. I don't know what's going on. I'm afraid to look it up, so I haven't bothered because if they're gone, I'm going to be mad. But WoW was putting – they took that stigma from the early 2000s where it was just crap. Yeah. And WoW was doing real good shows for two seasons, uh, and I don't know if they're ever coming back, but it was good stuff. I'm going to lean towards no, just pandemic kind of put a, put a halter on it. It's tough to come back from that. People forget. No attention spans. They'll forget very quickly. And this is a guy with ADD, and I'm saying calm the hell down. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hey, listen, I love wrestling, but – I don't watch Raw. I don't watch SmackDown. I don't watch AEW Live. I don't watch NXT Live. I'll rewatch them. I watch the pay per views. I watch New Japan Live. And I watch IWTV when the shows that I want to watch come on live. And that's it. I Listen, 
I, I have I have video games to play and nuts to bust. I can't watch wrestling that much. That's what I'm saying. There's other things going on in life. I can't sit there and watch you know that much wrestling. It's too much time. You got three hours of Raw. You got two hours of AEW. You got two hours of NXT. You got two hours of SmackDown. You got a three hour pay per view. New Japan runs five hour shows. IWTV streams a show every week. What am I you know What do I do with my time? Never thought I'd hear the day and there'd be too much wrestling. When and, what do you, and what do you expect a fan to do? What what did, what did I, what should I tune into? What they want? No, right? they're not. They're not. But they're not tuning in. That's the problem. Well, they are tuning in. They're just tuning in in much smaller numbers because they're only going to watch well, certain programs. I meant li- I meant live. I meant that the oh, those yes, numbers yes. you're hitting the, the Monday Night Wars. Everybody thought was we're going to have a Wednesday Night War. This is not an insult on the wrestling companies. This is a, a commentary on the time. Yeah, that's not enough. Those numbers are not enough. Yeah, you also have to think about what they're selling to the fans now. When the Monday Night Wars were going on, you're not selling wrestling. Mm-hmm. You're selling a story. You're selling uh, what do they call it? Like a like a, the in ring quality of the matches was yeah. fairly low in WWF anyway. WWF yes. is still higher. Yes, very uh, very, very 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 true, dude. Uh, but they weren't selling the in-ring matches. They were, go watch Hogan Goldberg. Hmm. You got huge reactions to that match. Was a, was a <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing you got on both what shows, though. Moment. You know, they sold you a moment, you know? And what you got on both shows were packed houses. Yes, you crowds know, that wanted to crowd, be there, that, yes. that wanted to be there to support what they were watching. Right. You know what I mean? And just prove my point, the crowds then didn't even want to see wrestling. Mm-hmm. They just wanted you to entertain them. Because uh, when Benoit and Guerrero showed up, I remember them working at an early uh, early pay-per-view match, you know, on the undercard, and it was like Meltzer gave it four and a half stars. You know what Mm -hmm. the crowd was chanting during it? Boring. Boring. Mm -hmm. They didn't want that. No. They were in Austin hitting somebody with a chair or just drinking a beer in the ring or The Rock telling somebody to to shut Mm -hmm. their mouth or Undertaker Mm -hmm. to play the gongs and roll his eyes back or Kane to blow fire out your ass. That's what they wanted. By the way, wrestling fans, I would tell them matches. Can 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 wrestling fans? Can we agree to stop letting Meltzer be a thing now? Talk about talk about the internet. Do it though. I don't well, I don't necessarily agree with how he rates matches because I think I found some matches better than matches he rates fairly high. Yes, I agree. But but he's just a he's a thing that is now. You know what I mean? You can never gonna get rid of him. So you just accept that he exists. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Complacency is best with Meltzer and just ignoring it. Yeah. But like. Like that's when, a bigger difference. And then, like, in Japan, they always sold matches. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, they had their yeah. stars, but you went there to see a war, right? Guys were going to beat the piss out of each other. Or they were going to wrestle for 45 minutes. It was going to be the best match you've ever seen in your life. That's what they sold, and that's what worked for them, and it's worked for them forever, and they've never changed that, right? Mm-hmm. No. No, they've WWF never changed that. WWF sold you on entertainment. The flashiest that New, New Japan gets is in their entrances. Exactly. And then it's all on the match. That's and it. then it's all match. You know, the big stories are always for championships, right? There's never, there's not that many personal vendettas or, oh, you're, you're banging my girlfriend or whatever WF was running back in the day. You know what I mean? Like, that was, wasn't a thing. So, the fans that love that wrestling. Your ass, you're banging my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, back in the WWF, WCW days, those they were they were selling the story. They were selling these characters to you. They were selling uh, how entertaining we can be. The, uh, this crazy moment you got to see live that you never thought you'd see. Undertaker, Mick Foley, Hell in the Cell 
was an okay match, but you reacted to the, oh, my God, Nick Foley's dead, like, three different times. You gave, They gave you moments. You know what I mean? And, yeah, they had some very good matches mixed in, but the vast majority, Val Venus versus the Godfather, I mean, you, five stars? No, come on now. But you got to see a pimp wrestle a porn star. That's entertaining. You know what I mean? And that's that's the difference in the product. You know, when you put it that way, Xavier, you have a point. Yeah. What would you rather sit and watch? Would you rather sit and watch a guy who's 5'10", who uh, his character is that he's a very good professional wrestler, wrestle another guy who's 5'10", whose character is that he's got a mom haircut and is a very good professional wrestler with a giant black bodyguard who stands behind him, right? Or would you rather watch a pimp wrestle a porn star? Uh, as a kid, the pimp wrestling, as, the porn star. <laughs> as anybody. If you didn't even know what wrestling was, you said, I'm going to show you a fight. One of them is oh, yeah, no, the pimp, pimp and a porn star. Yeah, yeah. You want to watch the second one, even though the better one, the other one's going to be a better match. You and are that's, correct. This is what wrestling was then, and it's different now, so you're not going to get the same volume of people to watch. Because I could go to my freaking you know, cousin who's 12, and he's never watched wrestling in his life, and go, hey, you want to watch a pimp fight a porn star? You're like, yeah, I do. Right? Mm-hmm. Hey, do you want to watch two dudes who just fight for a living, fight each other? He's like, I'm good. There's a difference, you know? Would yeah. you rather watch Charlotte Flair do a corkscrew moonsault off the top rope, or would you rather watch Sable go out there wearing basically my handprints on her boobies? Like, think about that. They weren't selling you wrestling. They were selling you entertainment. Now they're more or less trying to sell you wrestling because no one's entertained anymore because everyone, you know, shits on everything. So. No, well, I – it. they are still selling entertainment because um, if some of their matches now are cinematic – and I, I know you don't watch Raw anymore. Um, they have on AEW. Matt Hardy was teleporting down the uh, the throughout the audience. Listen, that um, was awesome. <laughs> it was not awesome. It was incredibly effing stupid. I'm not. I'm not a five year old. Uh, the Undertaker AJ Styles cinematic match was just an ep- episode of Walking Dead. It's not wrestling. Um, I guess. But but let me put it this way. It's only not wrestling. Because we know it's not anymore. But if you put this on in 97, before the internet was a thing, people buy it. Maybe they don't think it's, maybe they don't think like, oh, it's, it's, it's 100% real, but there's something that they would want to believe in there. You know what I mean? They're more willing to accept that there's a plumber coming to the ring to wrestle a trash man. In, the, in 97, you didn't tell me that Duke the Jump Dumpster Josie's coming. Like, you know what I mean? There's certain things that would have worked back then, I think, that are happening now, you know, that would have worked back in the 90s. But now there's no chance, you know, because you all, know what it is and isn't. All the things that you mentioned is what drove me away from wrestling. More and more, it significantly drove me away from the WWF because they took these guys that were really good workers. Uh, 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 Tony Anthony, who was selling out arenas throughout the South and Tennessee and, and uh, Alabama and Mississippi and uh, just being a dirty white boy as as your character and he goes to the WL he, he hit the big time oh now he's a he's a plumber and yeah. now Bill Owens a, a an ex hockey player and this other guy is a, a Freddie Joe Floyd and this other guy um, take uh, Steve Kern is a Skinner when he wasn't doink but you're taking evil clowns and all that other stuff. Back when everything had to be a character, everything had to be a gimmick because we're 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 still selling to kids and ice cream bars and and merchandise, and that's fine. I'm not a kid, so I'm I I didn't grow up with that shit. Okay, I was in my twenties, going in my thirties. This is the stupidest fucking thing I ever saw, especially when I'm watching someone that I watched grow like Terry Taylor, who was the best white meat babyface there was. This guy 
was on his way. He could have been another another Bob Backlund, another um, Jack Briscoe, someone that you can just market just being Terry Taylor, and now he's a rooster. Um, so I, that's where I, the the par- the um, the favoritism or what I liked about wrestling went away mm-hmm. because. And and I'm not knocking the people that that grew up with that that love that that if I was ten, yes, that would be my shit. I wasn't ten. That's the only thing. I wasn't ten, yeah. um, and it, it just made me sick, especially when I'm watching guys on cable TV sell out something, and now when they and they go to the WWF and they're in a costume. Ron Simmons was the first W, the first uh, who's the subject of my uh, Black History Month. Um, is the first black WCW heavyweight champion of all time, and now he's Farouk dressed up like uh, Ty- Tyreus Maximus in The Gladiator with a helmet and uh, blue uh, a blue tunic. I agree, but to real quick to tack on to that, mm-hmm. now imagine all the kids who grew up watching the Attitude Era, right? Yeah, and then they got a little older and they realized. All right, well, the outstairs is gone now. What do I watch? And they started watching the independents, right? And they see guys mm-hmm. like uh, Brian Danielson and uh, Claudio Castagnoli and uh, yeah, John Hartley and yeah. Tyler Black and these various guys. Yeah. And then they get brought up and they barely get – and some, some of those guys are barely got used. Like Cesaro's right. been sitting in the land of oblivion for his entire career. Mm-hmm. Nakamura comes over from Japan and does nothing, uh, you know. I and it's the same thing, and that's and then they wonder why viewership is down. It's because you're taking guys that we got to see when we were teenagers, or you know, at these live shows that came to our town, go up there, and then you're making them look silly. And you know? even just this past Sunday's Royal Rumble, mm-hmm. you had not only do you have Edge and Christian coming back, but you bring back Carlito and Hurricane and Kane and. MVP there, so it's it's 2008 already again. It's yeah. like you, you what you're saying is that we don't believe in our current product, so we had to keep bringing back guys that our younger fans or our older fans will remember. Mm-hmm. You know, and but I I don't want to see AI play right now. Nobody, you know, he was my and I don't want to see. I my day was Dr. J. Do you think I want to see Dr. J on the Sixers in no. the starting lineup? No, no, no. But that's also why, why are you, we so happy when I see a guy like Edge come back? Because that I already say goodbye so, to. Because people have become so dissatisfied with what they're being presented in the current product that anything that's different than that is going to get a good reaction from them. And everything from the night, you know, 2008 is different. Yeah, and it's also older and, and has been seen and done before. And again, you're, 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 what you're saying is that we, what the WWE is telling you, we don't have anybody currently. That's mm-hmm. going to move the dial, so we have to bring back all these other people, and and during a pandemic, by the way, and having fly, flying them in and risking putting their lives at risk and putting the lives of their current superstars yeah. at risk by doing this just to get just to move the, the needle a little bit. Yeah, and but then they, they have, then you have to ask the question: Is the WWE at fault because they're not able to turn these guys who are stars and independents into stars for them to boost the ratings, or? Are we saying that a guy like Brock Lesnar, who every time he shows up actually does amazing ratings, mm-hmm. that's a far better draw in general than any of the guys that are wrestling right now? Yeah, I, it, I don't know the answer to it, but there's got to be both sides of that fence, you know? I, if you, when I see a guy like Damian Priest or even a, someone like Keith Lee, who was so super over on NXT, that can't translate into, into the main roster? 
The guy's already been beaten how many times since he's been called up? Yeah. Um, and it, it's terrible. Same thing with Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley, to me, is she could be your female rock. She's got everything. Mm-hmm. The look, the, the, the mic skills, just her whole – she's tall. She actually – she's not a four-foot, you know, Alexa Bliss or, or nothing against Asuka, but – Rhea, look, really, Rhea Ripley is a real woman, like a tall athlete. You could buy her as a professional athlete. If she came on TV and she told you she was in the WNBA, I could believe that because that's how she looks. And um, we'll see what we'll, we'll do with her. Yeah. Um, Dan, do you want to go to um, the uh, Black History moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. This is, your, this is your segment, my friend. Oh, thank you. You are the leader. <laughs> I just like that this is all going to be in black and white on YouTube. Yes, it's all going to be in black and white. Now, we're going to focus on the black part of the black and white now <laughs> because uh, we are in February, and it is Black History Month. So I'm going to try to do it. And part of the reason why I st- we started the Wrestling Historian in the first place, because on an episode of HIAC Talk Radio a long time ago, I decided to focus on uh, a black wrestler every year uh, during the month of February for Black History Month. and I'm going to do it now. Um, I just got to see a uh, uh, on the WWE Network. Um, they were doing a a, um, a segment on uh, the APA and uh, with uh, Ron Simmons and uh, Bradshaw, and it focused me on uh, the career of Ron Simmons, who, like a lot of who, a throwback in the sense that he was a a football player that turned to wrestling. And obviously he wasn't the first. It's been done before. Ernie Ladd, Wahoo McDaniel, Bronco Nagurski, um, Bill Goldberg, that went from um, football into wrestling. The difference is Ron Simmons, uh, while those other guys weren't actually the – well, Ernie Ladd was. but uh, was Ron say. <laughs> But between Ernie Ladd and Ron Simmons, all the other football players that turned wrestlers, their football their football career wasn't that distinguished. Leon White was another one. But Ron Simmons came in third place in the Heisman Trophy voting uh, when he played for uh, the Florida State Seminoles. And for a defensive player to be con- in even considered for a Heisman Trophy winner, for the Heisman Trophy, let alone come in third, mm-hmm. uh, that's to quote Nicholas Cage, that's high praise. <laughs> but uh, and he had, was again sought after by uh, lots of pro uh, pro football uh, teams. He didn't make the cut, uh, which is no fault of his own. He, he had a nagging uh, rotator cuff uh, injury that didn't he he didn't he couldn't duplicate the success he had in Florida State in uh, the pros, which is. Uh, strange because Florida State has always been like an NFL factory. It's kind of like a pipeline to the NFL. But for Ron Simmons, for as great as he was, he's had his number retired in um, at Florida State in the NCAA uh, college football Hall of Fame, but didn't make it as a pro. Uh, he stayed in Florida uh, and where he got the eye of, of uh, Mike Graham, uh, the son of the great Eddie Graham. And uh, Dusty Rhodes, Bill Watts was another one who was a, a big fan of his, who loves football players turned wrestlers, see Dr. Death, Steve Williams. And Ron Simmons made his uh, wrestling debut in Florida in, uh, in uh, 1984. 
And uh, through 1986, he became the Florida heavyweight champion, green as grass, but just built like a Mack truck, strong as hell. Uh, wasn't the best worker, but what he did, he did really well. And when you can see in just the shoulder tackle alone, you can see that uh, he this guy had the goods and he had the look. And if things did go south, you know, uh, he could take care of himself in the ring. And even outside of the ring, uh, you just didn't want to mess with Ron Simmons just because um, – He was Ron it, Simmons. He was Ron Simmons and stuff. And the look alone would just give it to you. You know, he was just like – he was like the old Sonny Liston thing. He could knock you out with a stare. Just That's how badass he was. And Ron Simmons took this – when uh, the NWA bought up the, uh, the Florida – uh, territory and Ron Simmons made his de- debut in the NWA, worked his way to the NWA. He was put in the tag team with Eddie Gilbert, and Eddie Gilbert was a face the whole time, even though he sh- maybe the best heel that they had under their nose without even knowing it. But he and uh, Eddie uh, was in a tag team with Ron Simmons, and Eddie Gilbert had the magic touch when it came to young, big, strong wrestlers who just needed some work and some training. That's why you put him with Eddie Gilbert, what he did for Sting, what he tried to do with the Ultimate Warrior, uh, and what he did with Rick Steiner. Now it was his task to do with Ron Simmons, and once again it worked. Ron Simmons learned the final finer points of wrestling psychology and how to, to move in the ring and what not to do in the ring, being a big, strong guy. And what Eddie did for Sting, what he did for Rick Steiner, he did the same with Ron Simmons. I always thought... Had he joined the varsity club, that he could have taken that group to a whole nother oh level. Oh my god! Because the the varsity club, to me, oh. uh, the best heel group next to the Horsemen, oh Mike Rotunda, Steve Steve Doctor Death Williams, Danny Spivey, all college great college athletes. You put Ron Simmons with that group. That's your new four Horsemen. Oh it never, my god! It, it never happened, but. And I think I was one of the ones that started that rumor because back in the day when the NWA came to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Civic Center, there was an entranceway that the fans, certain fans knew about where the wrestlers would come in. They'd come in either in their own cars or in a cab or it would Flair's case come in a limousine, and we'd always check in to see who it was. And I saw uh, Kevin Sullivan driving Steve Williams – and in the back of the car was Mike Rotunda and Ron Simmons. Mm-hmm. Even though Rotunda was – they were all heels Rotunda and Simmons was a face. So I thought that was the beginning of Ron Simmons being in the varsity club. Uh, Never happened, but it broke kayfabe for me. It's like, wow, I thought those guys were, you know, mm-hmm. again, but – How dare you. Uh, yeah. But Ron Simmons stayed in the NWA. Uh, Bill Watts, when he took over the book, saw the same thing in Ron Simmons as he did with Junkyard Dog. Gave him a tremendous push. Pushed him all the way to the top, and his in his win over Vader for the WCW Heavyweight Championship is still one of the most genuine moments uh, you will see in a wrestling arena. When you look at that, uh, and I'm talking to our HIAC Talk Radio fans right now, I usually give you homework. Look at the win of Ron Simmons over Vader for the WCW Heavyweight Championship. Look at the fans, especially the one fan in the blue shirt who came all the way down. From the, I don't that know if he was from dude, the top. He didn't run down, dude. He skipped every fucking stair 
from that section he came from, that dude flew. He glided over air. He was so, he had so much adrenaline running through that kid. And got all the way to the to the barrier right when Ron gave the power slam to Vader and pinned him one, two, three. And the place, he erupted, the place erupted. One of the most genuine moments in wrestling history for me. I still have chills, and I just passed that moment a couple weeks ago, watching the, the, all, Xavier, what I'm doing, there's a list on Reddit, and it's every single event on the WWE Network in chronological order, all of them. Mm -hmm. And I started at the first show I was ever at, by the way, the first show I was ever at was Halloween Havoc 1989 at Civic Center in Philadelphia. The main event was Sting and Flair versus uh, Buddha and Funk with Gary Hart with them. Only, um, only Anderson with Flair and Sting, and the guest referee was Bruno San Martino. No big deal. Um, but I just, just passed that. Mm-hmm. And I never, ever, ever will get over that kid. Yeah. And when people are like, what's wrestling for? I'm like, kid, that kid. For that kid right there. That kid right there. It's not about you, me, and what other old people think anymore. It isn't. Mm-mm. But that kid right there. And I'm telling you, of course he ran. But I didn't see that motherfucker hit one stare on the way down. <laughs> he, it, it was like he knew. The way that it, in his mind it probably happened in slow motion where he saw Vader coming off that rope like, it's, this is the fucking slam. It's coming. Mm-hmm. He was at that guardrail before that dude's dead body hit the floor. <laughs> it's one of the most amazing – R.I.P. Vader. Yeah. R.I.P. Vader. Yeah. And I mean – I meant that uh, match-wise, not uh, rest yeah. in peace Vader. Um. <laughs> It's one of the most amazing moments. Yeah, and in, in, in wrestling history, it's what made you. It's what make, makes you a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unbelievable. And uh, Ron Simmons, uh, reign as WCW Heavyweight Champion, wasn't that long, uh, but still significant. The uh, first black man to be recognized as a World Heavyweight Champion. I've said on many times on this wrestling historian segment. Um, other times that black wrestlers have been. Awarded the NWA title, uh, Bobo Brazil pinned Buddy Rogers during a two out of three fall match in the first fall. Rogers got injured in the second fall, couldn't continue the match. So, to many uh, governing bodies of the NWA, Bobo Brazil was the, in fact the NWA heavyweight champion. Uh, Bearcat Wright in Los Angeles during the WWA, he was recognized as the WWA heavyweight champion. But problem was the WWA wasn't recognized by all. Uh, by the NWA and other organizations as a legitimate World Heavyweight Championship, but Ron Simmons was the first recognized, was the first World Heavyweight Champion universally recognized by an entire national uh, organization, in this case the NWA slash WCW. After God, you the only addendum I wanted to make to that. Also, watching that, what kind of frustrates me. Uh, social justice-wise. I, I know that's a word people like throwing around at me. Um, it's weird to hear the crowd react to him every time he came out and only see him hold the belt for that long. What was yeah. it, three months? Late, less three than months. a month? Well, yeah. I, I, it was short, and I'm watching going by like, wait, what the... Right, whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm listen- the, what I'm listening to is that what the bookers are saying. <laughs> yeah, he had one pay-per-view uh, title defense uh, against the Barbarian of all people. And... Um, And that was it before he uh, lost the belt back to Vader. Before you go into the last bit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I think of my favorite band, Genesis, it Mm -hmm. pisses me off that people will remember them for Invisible Touch, even though it's a great album. Yeah. I'm like, ah, so much better stuff. 
Mm-hmm. But it's still classic. It's still, it's a weird thing. Like it's still so good. But I'm like, but the other stuff. Yeah. Does it upset you that people remember Ron Simmons for damn? I know. I some guy, <laughs> some good guy bought you that shirt. I have no idea who. Uh, <laughs> but does it bother you that that's his greatest hits and not the WCW run, or do you even give a shit that as long as he's recognized? Uh, I it, it did. Um. And uh, it and if you catch me on a certain day, it 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 might still, but um, when I listen to Ron Simmons talk, um, and like a lot of people that are professional wrestlers, and some even someone uh, even Xavier, uh, just to be remembered at all, you know, you think of the hundreds of thousands of professional wrestlers um, that have tried and wanted to be you know, in the big leagues or turn pro or to wrestle on TV or to wrestle in front of their hometown and to do all that. Uh, and being a professional wrestler, you know your career has a shelf life. And that's a bitter reminder for anyone who chooses to say, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. Present so, company included. Exactly. So having – so with Ron Simmons, uh, if people, you know, uh, just come up to him and say, damn, or just want him to say, damn, or – Pay him X amount of dollars for him to do give to send a cameo of just him saying "damn." Um, I'm sure he he's made his peace with that because again, this wasn't and he was he wanted to be a pro football player. That's what his passion was. That's what his so to go this road uh, to to the height and the success that he's achieved because after leaving WW after leaving WCW as the world champion. Like so many other WCW champions, when they came to the WWF, they were instantly forgotten, stuck into a stupid gimmick. Kerry Von Erich, Kurt Henning, Ron Simmons, another. We'll take Rick Martell. We'll take all these former world champions, and we'll stick them with the dumbest gimmick we can. And we won't have anyone recognize what they did before anywhere else. to, To these fans, the WWF fans, these are total strangers. These are total unknowns. They never wrestled anywhere or at any time. We're discovering them for the first time. So we're going to put you in this blue helmet, this blue tunic. We're going to give you a little sword, a little scepter, and we're going to call you Farouk Asad. And that's it. You're no longer Ron Simmons. Whatever you did before that, the history you made as the first black world heavyweight champion, forget all that. You are now a character that we can market and shove down people's throats. And, uh, he took that just like he took um, when he first started in, in the NWA, and he ran with it, and he did as best as he could with it to the point where he dropped the the uh, the gimmick, dropped the uh, the tunic, kept the name Farouk, had a different outfit, and started a, a, a uh, heel group because – in this point in the WWF, everyone needed to be a heel group. You had you, your DOA, you had the Lost Periquas, you had DX, you had the Heart Foundation. So Farouk decided to be to start the Nation of Domination, and with that heel group, not only did he reinvent Charles Wright, and yet and he kept the comic gimmick, but now he was comic in the Nation of Domination. D'Lo Brown got his big break from being in the Nation of Domination. And this one good-looking face who the company tried to push as their ultimate baby face, 
uh, backfired, and he was being booed everywhere he went. So this young, up-and-coming, good-looking wrestler turned into the skid and uh, capitalized on the die, Rocky, die chance and joined the nation as well. Mm-hmm. And D'Lo, Charles Wright, uh, Mark Henry, mm-hmm. all credit Ron Simmons with putting them on the map and giving them the career, not only the push that they needed, but the career guidance that they needed. In a special episode on WWE Table for Three, Mark Henry, Charles Wright, and D'Lo all said, uh, all gave praise to Ron Simmons, that if it wasn't for him, uh, they wouldn't have gotten the confidence they had, and all of them went on to to win championships in the WWF. All of them had separate careers, good solo careers, but Rocky Maivia was the one that became the standout from the Nation of Domination, and that gave birth to The Rock. It was in the Nation of Domination during when he was slowly taking over from Ron Simmons and calling himself The Rock. He would, The first time he ever called himself The Rock was when he was with the Nation of Domination. <laughs> he gave that man a picture of himself and everybody yes. else watches. God damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did, I know, I said, I know what you want. <laughs> But, it, again, but it was Ron Simmons putting over and giving the rub to uh, uh, another, to uh, other people, and it made uh, Rocky Maivia into The Rock. I know you probably heard the stories, but uh, I don't, I'm not aware of them. How close do you think Triple H and DX were close to death uh, doing that blackface shit that night? Um. <laughs> or, or were they were they like, yeah, no, please do it because we're gonna kill you. You're getting receipts. D'Lo and and Road Dog were close though. Road Dog said, "I'm doing you, D'Lo." <laughs> That's it. All right. Everyone else, yeah, because when X Pac put on the blackface and he was Mark Henry and he was talked about, he said it on the on camera. Oh, I've been working out. I've been eating shit and training and that was an inside joke because one of the things they did to haze mark henry was they gave him a sandwich that said someone had defecated in oh oh wonderful <laughs> yeah and this is while he was in blackface too um they were doing that to mark henry at any moment where henry would have killed them yeah okay that's balls um, i don't have and but and mark henry though um he knew that it were how the ladder went. You, Mark Henry was also um, when he first started with Yokozuna's "Go Get It Boy." I don't even uh, remember that part. Yeah, uh, Mark. Uh, he'd come to the arena and Yokozuna would say, "Mark, go get me a bucket of chicken." And my uh, <laughs> well, okay, okay. <laughs> and and of course, Mark was big too. So, well, I want a bucket of chicken. Also, I said, no, that's for me. And you know, you can get your own. But Mark Henry knew that paying his dues. Now, now, disbelieve, Dan, when Mark Henry paid his dues, when he got the respect, that's when a conversation happened between with X-Pac and... Hey, Sean, come here. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little, yeah. Just to cut to the future real quick with Mark Henry, uh, he went on a rant against Ryback the other uh, last week. Yeah. Did you hear it? Yeah. One of the best... Shoot interview, shoot promos I've ever heard. Cross, did you hear it? I did not, but uh, Ryback isn't well liked. So no, I imagine it was a dual, it was a dual, a doozy. I will send you the link from Twitter. I know you're, you don't have to be logged in to see it. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's all of us that have been like, he's kind of a piece of shit. Going, 
Because uh, <laughs> like, yeah, Mark's like, go ahead. I don't care. What are you going to do? Yeah. And Mark Henry pretty much even said when Ryback came out to him the first time, he said, just come to me. Yeah, you know, you love to write me. Just, just come. We can just we can chat. Yeah. We, can have, we can talk. <laughs> I couldn't imagine trying to piss that dude off. And I'm a, I'm stupid when it comes to pissing people off. And even I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I'm over here. <laughs> but 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 Ron Simmons also worked his way up the WWE ladder, going from a guy Farouk aside with the like I said the gladiator gimmick to uh, the leader nation of domination to just being Ron Simmons. And when he was paired with Bradshaw. Another guy that had been stuck with stupid gimmick after stupid gimmick was going nowhere. Blackjack Bradshaw. A Blackjack Bradshaw and John Ugh. Hawk Bradshaw. Ugh. Um, but uh, and putting them together, and Vince wanted them to be uh, a a team like to, to to promote racial harmony. He wanted them to to to, to bring up that fact that he's black and you're white, so just make that a thing. And Ron Simmons said no. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Fuck that. He said, I'm, we're teaming because this is my best friend. Mm-hmm. It is not a, a, a black white thing. They try to play it up with it when you're in a feud with the Dudleys. Mm-hmm. Because I remember uh, Ron calling D-Bot, yo, Darky, come over here. <laughs> uh, and they played that up for, wow. for laughs. But but Ron Simmons, um, as much, and now as it's odd to hear him say that because as much as he was, you know, a, a symbol, and for a lot of black wrestlers growing up, you know, being a former world champion, he said, I'm not here to be uh, – if I'm a role model, that's fine, but I'm not here to promote racial harmony or racial equity. Okay, if I team with someone, it's because this is my – I see this is my brother. Um, it's not a, a black or, or white thing. It's where I want us to show that we're we're a team, we're a unit. Uh, that's why he 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 took the the uh, the Jack Johnson approach. Jack Johnson, the first black boxing heavyweight champion of all time. Jack Johnson, yeah. Um, not the singer. Uh, the the, the no, first no, black. The box. I watched documentary yeah, of the boxer. I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, but he never liked the fact that when you know black people saw him as a, you know as a, a hope because I, I'm not fighting for you guys. I'm fighting for me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to see me as as a hope and I'm giving inspiration, that's great. You know, but you should already be proud to be black. Don't be proud to be black because I'm champion. Be proud to be black because of who you are, because that's the way God made you. Yeah. And that Ron Simmons had that same approach, uh, and he turned down Vince's offer to make the acolytes a, uh, a racial harmony tag team. Thank Christ. We're just, he just, no, we're just two guys that love to drink beer and love to beat people up. That's our gimmick. That's our entire gimmick. Quick aside, if anybody yeah. wants to look up, if anybody wants a real interesting documentary to watch. Was up Jack Johnson, the boxer? Yes. I stumbled upon that by accident on a PBS like three or four years ago, and I was like, huh, <laughs> all right. And I'll even do you one better. Check out the movie The Great White Hope, starring a young James Earl Jones. He got his first and only Oscar nomination for playing Jack Johnson. In, uh, the- I've never seen that movie. I had no idea that was who that was about. He played him on Broadway in the play The Great White Hope, and it was went to the movies, and James, he, James Earl Jones continued playing Jack Johnson. The movie's called The Great White Hope. He was yeah. nominated for Best Actor. Oh, yeah. I'm going to add that right now. <laughs> but and, and there was also a scene in there where he said, um, you know, a whole bunch of uh, black folks came to see him fight, and they weren't allowed to, to go in to watch it. 
And he said, uh, no, it's okay. You know, we just want to come here for you. Um, he said, well, y'all came all the way here for me? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you're, you're fighting for us. You know, I'm gonna, and after you beat him for the World Heavyweight Champion, I'm going to be proud to be black tomorrow. And Jack said, well, country boy, if you ain't already proud, and all the boxing and all the praying in the world ain't going to get you there. He said, you, you guys, I'm nothing, but a, I'm nothing but a black ugly fist here. You're praying that I win? Not praying, don't, oh, don't let him get shot. Oh, don't let him get hung. Oh, don't let him get stabbed while he's in the ring. So he took that, and that was, but that was Jack Johnson. Perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Johnson, brief aside, he was one of the first black, he was born in the first generation of black people that were born after slavery. So he never knew uh, slavery. So when he grew up, being the biggest and the strongest, he was going to drive the fastest cars, date white women, eat whatever he wanted to, go wherever he wanted to. And his arrest was for transporting a white woman, his wife, across state lines. So that's what, what got him in jail. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and his fight with Tommy Burns over, the heavy, over Jess Willard. Jess Willard was seen as a great white hope. Because he was the one that was going to take the heavyweight championship away from Jack Johnson, this this <laughs> black man who was saying all these amazing things. You know, they'd say, hey, N-word, you knocked that white boy out, we're going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And Jack Johnson would say, well, kill my black ass right now because I'm going to knock that white boy out. <laughs> How'd that work out? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he was still champion. But <laughs> Jeff Willard, when Jeff Willard was the heavyweight, was the contender, Jeff Willard was a legit 6'7", 285. The urban legend was, urban legend was he killed a seven-point deer and carried it over his shoulder five miles back to his home. So Jeff Willard was a big, strong man. So all was riding on Jeff Willard. Uh, mm. Oops. It, uh, the rumor... Uh, in fact, Teddy Roosevelt was delayed a, uh, a State of the Union address so he could hear the fight on the radio. And it was so incensed at the outcome that Jack Johnson won that he canceled the uh, State of the Union address because uh, he was so upset by the outcome. Um, but, again, back to Ron Simmons, uh, his, uh, his, his uh, partnership with Bradshaw, again, reinvigorated his career and both of their careers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're backstage. This is back when backstage segments were, uh, and now it's like there's always an attack or some kind of bit. But the door, <laughs> um, and them playing cards and drinking beer, and this this door being set up in the middle of a backstage area uh, that people had to knock on to uh, to walk through uh, was genius. Uh, those guys made it work. There was no script. There was just two guys talking, playing poker, and it worked. And uh, then he became a one-man catchphrase and extended his career even longer. Uh, but Ron Simmons, I, he, the 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 pathway that was that was laid out to him, uh, the groundwork that was laid by Bobo Brazil, by Ernie Ladd, uh, enabled. Ron Simmons to walk through that door uh, that those guys built. So for Black History Month, for this segment of the Wrestling Historian, uh, our tribute is to Ron Simmons. And in a word, dang. Exactly. We've gone old school tonight. <laughs> 
one episode for you. No breaks, no breakdowns, no two-parter. It's all here, uh, most because there's so much content on VOCNation.com this week from us and YouTube.com slash Dan93. Go find it and listen and watch it all. I have new video uh, editing software, and it would be greatly appreciated if you checked out the edits I'm doing. I'm very happy about those. A little transition when we go into the wrestling story and time machine. So choice. But that being said, Xavier, thank you for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. He has no social media, so fuck it. Craig, where can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me on Craig Lagans on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. You follow me on all social media platforms. Uh, good luck with Facebook. I'm banned until uh, March 2nd. <laughs> At DanLaw83 on all social media platforms. Uh, YouTube.com slash DanLaw83. Twitch.tv slash DanLaw83. HIC Talk Radio is the VOC Nation radio network on your smartphone, your podcast app. Type in VOC Nation. VOC Nation radio network. It's all there. Or just go to VOCNation.com. HIC is also on Twitter, by the way, uh, guest HIC Talk Radio. For Craig Lagans and the magnificent Xavier Cross, I am the above-average comedian, Dan Calchico. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. This is the Slickster, the Doctor of Style, and you're listening to VOC Nation. Check out In the Room. Every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then, uh, uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Can Resume. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have cried? Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Dylan, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling with History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calchico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. On Wrestling With Problems, we deal with two things, wrestling and problems. On the wrestling side, we cover the major feds as well as the indies. As far as problems go, we cover our problems, American problems, and world problems. Sometimes the problems are even related to wrestling. Every week, comedian King David Lane and wrestler, promoter, Chris Press discuss the best and especially the worst in the world of wrestling with a heaping dose of comedy. Check us out live on VLCNation.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's 
WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, VOCNation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, here you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.